2: You're listening to The Destiny Show Podcast, part of the Robots Radio Network, live on Twitch every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific.
0: Robots Radio presents...
2: Hello guardians and welcome to the destiny show podcast on today's episode we talk about game development and the upcoming season of the drifter that was just announced and revealed today we have a very special guest on the show one of the creators of octodad p-tips welcome to the show
0: thanks for having me how's it going
2: it's a great day to be a Destiny fan, for sure. So much new content dropped today about the upcoming season, and we are so honored to have you on the show, so thank you so much for being here on the show today. I also want to welcome my co-host, Shadow Price. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Exciting times. Exciting times. Yeah. So much to talk about today. We are going to have such a great episode, and I'm so excited to... Be here today and to be talking about Destiny. Absolutely. Yeah, that Bungie
1: Vidoc like that really is going to set the tone for yeah. this this episode because it, it was it was pretty lit. I liked what I saw in there. I like all the different varying game modes that we're soon to get and more stories. Looks like going to be fleshed out for the Drifter, so I'm excited to talk about all that.
2: Absolutely, it's going to be a really great episode today. We're going to be talking about the new season of The Drifter that will be coming out next week on March 5th. We will be diving into the season of The Drifter, ViDoc, which was revealed earlier today. And then just a couple hours ago, actually, we got the Bungie Weekly update that dives into some of the details that are coming with season of The Drifter. So we're going to talk about that in greater detail today we're also going to talk about video games today and talk about some of the things that go on in the video game industry and we're so excited to have p Tibbs on the show today so we can talk about some of the things that he had experienced in the video game industry and his experience in destiny
0: yeah i'm stoked to be here
2: absolutely and we're again so grateful to have you on the show p Tibbs is an avid Destiny fan. He's also one of the eight creators of Octodad, Deadliest Catch. And he is the founder of Young Horses Games. And Octodad is available on all platforms from Xbox to PS4 to the Nintendo Switch to PC and even the Wii U. So we are really grateful to have p Tibbs on the show. And p Tibbs also has the Wayfarer badge. And he's very close to getting his Dredgen badge too.
0: Eerily close, like so close. It's upsettingly close. Uh, I've been going after the kind of light versus light triumph for <laughs> that badge yeah. or for that title for a long time because, like, when Gambit was first released, a lot of people would invade and immediately go into super uh, and try to take out people that way to heal the primeval. And then ever since uh, kind of Sleeper and Queenbreaker kind of became the meta for Gambit nobody really invades with super anymore unless it's like a last ditch effort sort of thing uh out of desperation and so it became much more difficult to actually complete that that uh triumph um and it's the only one i have left and it's (laughs) been the only one i've had left for like i don't know months now you're so right about that
1: like even the machine guns now like everybody yeah they invade they invade with machine guns so it's like how do you how do you how do you, do you expect to use a super when they just can just see where you're on the map and then just gun you down really quick with a machine gun?
0: There, yeah, good. if it's not uh, Queen Breaker or Sleeper, it's Hammerhead or Thunderlord for right. sure.
2: I believe that Bungie is going to make some changes to how you acquire that Triumph where you'll be able to pretty much kill any, any enemy. It doesn't have to necessarily be the Invader. And I believe that update is coming with March 5th.
0: Yeah, I'm really I was really excited when I read that. It's 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 always like endearing and like cool to see um, when fixes come through like that or adjustments come through like that that I directly address something that's like a pain point for what I happen to be doing at the time. Because I'm yeah. excited for the fact that like, hey, I could go through as an invader and maybe if they try to super me, I could still take them out and that would count. And that's a nice thing to kind of have like two two ways to go about that. Kind of in the same way that they adjusted, um, was it either malfeasance or Ace of Spades quest where you had to get kills on invaders with hand cannons? I think it was Ace um, of Spades. Ace of Spades, yeah. yeah, and then they changed it to where you could kind of, it's just all hand cannon kills, which, I don't know, maybe it's too lenient, maybe it's not. I had already kind of finished it by the time they changed it, but I, same. I really same. like that they spend the time and pay that much attention to kind of The players experience and trying to make it like the best possible it can be yeah it shows that they're listening they're avid players
1: and they're willing to make changes they have their foothold in in the game it's nice to see that
2: they seem to be a lot quicker to respond to how the community reacts to the content that we're getting in the game and they are acting to make changes happen much much quicker than how they have in the past
0: yeah, it feels like since Warmind is around the time that they got like really quick with uh, responses and uh, paying attention to feedback like that. Before then, it seemed a little bit slower, and I don't know if it, what the reasons were behind that, if it was just not having enough time um, while they're trying to do whatever it is they were working on or, or what. But ever since then, it's only gotten better over time. And recently, with the split from Activision, they're also,
1: um, they seem to be responding quicker to community feedback as
0: well. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's like a result from not having to go through extra channels to get like approval for messaging or if that was even a thing before. But it does seem like. I think that's something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lately it seems like a lot of the responses have been not necessarily off the cuff, but just like more freely given. Right.
2: So, P Tibs, I am curious to learn how you got started in the video game industry.
0: Uh, Yeah. So, I've I've always wanted to work in games, uh, in one way or the other. I think it was it was both like Ocarina of Time, and that kind of started my interest in like, oh, people make this because I'd beaten that game so many times. That I watched the credits a lot and read through them and wondered what the jobs were, uh, like what a programmer did and that kind of thing. And over time, it just seemed like the only job that I would be happy doing, uh, even though at the time I didn't entirely grasp what that job was. I just knew that, like, hey, you didn't really have to wear a suit and you were working <laughs> with a bunch of people who loved video games. And at the time, that was a big draw, you know, being, I don't know, what was I, like seven or something like that at the time. Uh, and I don't know, I guess a lot of people kind of change up what they want to do and or may not know at all until like they're in it. But ever since then, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and Halo only made that like a stronger feeling and only made that more true. Uh, I think I've beaten that game more than 30 times, you know, done all difficulties, ran through on legendary, did co-op, land parties, all that stuff. And I've been playing Bungie's games, uh, since Halo. And then I went back and played... Uh, some of their older stuff like Oni that Bungie West did. Well, it was Bungie West at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all of that kind of added together with being a big fan of all games in general and all my friends played a lot of video games and stuff like that. Uh, When I went to go figure out like where I was going to go to college uh, and go to school, uh, I was looking at a lot of game development programs, which just happened at the time to be kind of starting up and spreading and becoming more of a thing. They were still early on. Uh, This was like, I want to say, 2008. And so I just looked at a bunch of different schools. I applied at like DeVry and a couple other smaller places and then found out at the time that there was like a big game development club as well as program at DePaul University of Chicago and thought living in Chicago would be cool and there were a lot of other factors, but ended up going there um, and heard good things about their program. And uh, went there, did classes... It's like a normal four-year degree in... Mine was in uh, computer game programming, so it was mostly a computer science degree, or at least like half a computer science degree and half like a game development degree in working with teams, making small games for classes, stuff like that, Uh, starting off in like Game Maker, uh, which is a very like graphical interface, like driven program to where it's mostly about learning the logic behind how games work and not necessarily the coding, although you can kind of start to move in that, into that with uh, game maker scripting language, and then moving on to like XNA and try to put stuff on Xbox 360 and and then further into C++ and the kind of like build your own engine territory. I think the, the most important thing that my time at school gave is just learning how to work with teams of people because ultimately in game development, that's like the most essential skill is having the communication Skills to work through problems with other people and cooperate and uh, understand what they're really trying to tell you, even if they're not able to explain it to you in a in the most concise way. But yeah, so not to go like way off the beaten path, but in my junior year, I had heard about a program at the school called the Paul Game Experience, where they interviewed about like 50 students. Two professors did, who were basically the kind of advisors of this extracurricular program and then picked around 20 of them to work on a game, and the whole point was to enter that game into the Independent Games Festival at the Game Developers Conference, because there's like a student competition within that, and you get a good amount of press and visibility through that if you place and are nominated. And the team in a year before my own uh, had been nominated and placed, and the game was called Devil's Tuning Fork, and it was kind of this echolocation, MC Escher first person game, puzzle game. And since they had got that recognition, they decided to run that program more times. And the next year I tried out for that. Uh, and that's kind of where Octodad started within that program. Wow, that's really cool. And it's awesome that you like reference
1: Ocarina of Time because that's also one of my favorite games. I think the level design, the dungeon design is is amazing in that game. And it, it really, really
0: is. One of my favorite games as well. I think more than any other game around that time, it did like an amazing job of like world building and making you feel like you were in a place. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is part of what what got me because I think that was the first Zelda game I actually ever had beaten. Like I'd played Link's Awakening, but I had never beaten it and I was never that interested in it, but when Ocarina of Time came out it it hooked me and I've played pretty much every Zelda game Mm -hmm. since. Yeah, yeah, and so you you got started pretty early, sounds like too. And yeah, I've been playing games since I was about three years old. I got a Genesis uh, that my dad had bought, and I played like Sonic and <clears throat> Doctor Robotnik's Bean Machine and Aladdin. And Aladdin was great. Yeah, All, that was such an awesome game.
2: All sorts of stuff. I still remember playing Lion King on my yeah. Genesis.
0: I remember playing only the first level over and over again because I was not good enough at it to beat anything else. I think that was the theme at, like, a younger me, where you would just sit there and replay the first, like, sections of a game over and over again, and that was good enough.
1: Right? Uh, That's how it was back then, because
0: yeah, we
1: haven't advanced the industry enough. The industry was still very young, so yeah. in order to get the replay value out of the games, they made them really, really, really hard <laughs>
0: Right, they were still kind of going along with the, I want to say, like, the theory behind it, like an arcade game that wants to eat quarters exactly. for the business. Cool philosophy, yep. Right, uh, yeah, because, you know, you're going to pay 60, 70 bucks for this cartridge, you want it to last, and at the time there was no real, no one thought about it in terms of, like, oh, was this, like, a valuable experience, even though it was only two hours? Right. Like, now, sometimes that is the case. <laughs> Yeah, now it's like if you have a
1: game that's only two hours, they're like, you know, people are just like, they're like, where's the where's the value? Where's my, where's my 20 hours? Where's my 30 hours experience? You know, but it's okay right. to have some games that are, you know, just a few hours, you know, it just depends on how your enjoyment was in that game.
0: It's interesting because a lot of that depends on kind of your like socioeconomic status, like how much money do you actually have to spend on games every year? And, like, do you have to make a more involved decision in, like, well, I'm only going to be able to buy maybe, like, two or three games this year, and so I want those games to last and be the thing that I'm going to play nonstop or, you know, whatever? Or, you know, am I more the kind of person who would rather spend, like, five or ten bucks on some smaller games and buy and play a lot of them or, you know? And then it just depends also on your taste, and it's kind of all over the place, and it's nice... I don't know, there's a bit of a fear within the game community right now that there are so many games coming out on Steam every single day that like anything you make is going to get lost among those. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's great for players because there's a game for absolutely everyone, no matter what you want.
1: Right, and that's kind of happening on Switch right now. What Not right to the extent of Steam, but it's like seems like all the indies are hitting the switch now and i love the switch for that like i have
2: so many indie games on my switch it's a so it's... great platform mm-hmm. oh i love my switch it's it's easily become my favorite console of and i do have every console out there but it's still so awesome the the types of games that nintendo is able to put out is so magical and different from anything else that you see there
0: it's amazing what they can do with that hardware nintendo games always look The best out of all the games on a Nintendo platform, they like really know how to unlock the power and like kind of get around any technical limitations to make their games still stack up visually to a lot of other AAA big budget games, and it's kind of amazing. Even if it's done through just like style and stuff, they look gorgeous. Like Super Mario Odyssey is a beautiful game, Uh, Mm -hmm. Breath of the Wild is a beautiful game, like breathtaking game, and it's pretty astounding that, you know, you can get that kind of experience on this handheld that you can take with you anywhere. Anytime I'm on, like, a, a trip or going to, like, a conference or something, like, being able to play a mainline 3D Zelda game in a hotel room uh, without having to, like, bring a whole console and try and hook it up to a weird hotel TV that you'd figure out the input on or whatever is great. Right, right. Even Splatoon 2, it,
1: it looks and play, runs very, very yeah. well. You get a yeah. solid
2: 60 frames. Pretty impressive for a small little console.
0: Yeah, it's a serious achievement. But otherwise, in terms of getting started in game dev, uh, creating Octodad was was really the start. Outside of just some like basic student games I had made previous, I had probably made or worked on like maybe three or four games as student projects before that first student Octodad game. And that first student Octodad game was a collaboration with about 17 other people, which was my first foray into like working on a team that was like. Close to studio size, which was interesting.
2: That's, that's really interesting. So Octodad started out as a school project.
0: Yeah, wow. yeah. Because basically everybody who was selected for that team got to pitch uh, their own ideas for like what game we were going to make, and the stipulations of that, uh, trying to, with the whole goal being trying to place or win the Independent Games Festival student competition, the constraints around that were kind of different in terms of uh, what kind of game you were going to make and the ways in which it needed to stand out. Because we didn't want to make... At the time, in like 2008, a lot of games, uh, smaller games that were coming out were puzzle platformers. They were 2D. Uh, Things like Braid were super popular. Super Meat Boy, which isn't a puzzle game, really, but it's definitely a hardcore platformer. Those were the things that were popular, and so we were trying to stay away from that type of gameplay as well as stay away from... Uh, shooters and first-person games uh, or first-person puzzle games like Portal which were also popular at the time because we knew that we couldn't match as a student team that had never worked together before we knew we could not match like the fidelity or polish of any of those games and so we had to stand out by like the merit of the concept and doing something that no one else had like was stupid enough to try basically (laughs) because we also as a student team didn't have much to lose uh, going after an idea like that. So yeah, each person on the team pitched their own ideas, and uh, after doing some prototyping and some voting, it was a pretty democratic process. Uh, we came down to Octodad as the idea, and originally Octodad was you are an octopus, but you're in the head of like an android, kind of like uh, in Men in Black, pulling levers and trying to walk this like human android around and pretend to be a human and get away with you know doing normal human things. And at some point along the way, we decided, like, why not just put the octopus in the suit? Because it would be funnier, because we knew already that based on um, the inspirations for the game, which were uh, Jurassic Park Trespasser, which is this first-person Jurassic Park game, where you had a weird amount of control over your arm uh, mm-hmm. to, like, pick things up and move them around. And then uh, Bull in a China Shop, which was a weird physics game, and, like, Quop, things like that. We knew it was going to be a comedy game in some way, and, and just like based on the personalities of everyone on the team, and so we went for full absurdity of like, oh, put the octopus in the suit, and then they're like, well, how are you going to, how is no one going to know that you're an octopus, and we just decided that they didn't, and by yeah. making that decision, it makes it, I think, funnier.
1: Yeah, I could, the hilarity definitely ensued. I, I did get a chance to play it, and um, I can see, like, yeah, the humor is all over the place and it just you know it goes to show you all, all you guys' creative energy that you guys put into the game and it's just it's it's heartwarming too like it's like humors it's it's heartwarming too just the whole premise of it and everything too in the beginning and the physics are really really crazy and it's really cool you guys are able to get that to
0: work the way it did and everything yeah it was interesting creating that game because this was before it, it was like just as unity as an engine was becoming a thing. Uh, and we were not using Unity. We were using Ehrlich, which is like an open source rendering engine, and then PhysX for our our physics engine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And kind of rolling that our on our own because a programmer on the team had previously used it for their like end of uh, capstone senior year project. And so we were just like, well, you already know how to use this, this engine, so we should start where we know something so that we can actually get somewhere rather than spending all of our time figuring out the tools and the engine and... Stuff like that, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I mean the the style the style of the game uh, is not only influenced by those games, but I think like the the sense of humor and the look of it are also pretty informed by who the team are and uh, the time in which we all grew up, because there's a lot of the influence was from like things like Ren and Stimpy or Animaniacs. Um, I grew up with that too. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a short in Animaniacs called Chicken Boo where it's basically Octodad, where it's, like, this chicken who (laughs) is dressed up like a man, and no one knows he's a man, and the whole point is that, like, one person in the skit knows it's a chicken, and is screaming to everybody else and trying to tell them that it's a chicken, uh, but they will not believe him and just think it's absurd, which is something weirdly we, like, stumbled upon after coming up with the idea, and I don't know if it was a subconscious, like, drawing from it subconsciously, or what, but it just really fit But yeah, so we made that first student game. Uh, We entered it into the Independence Games Festival. Uh, Beforehand, uh, it picked up some press coverage through Kotaku and uh, IndieGames.com and a couple other sites like that because previously two people on our team, Devin scott Tunkin and John Murphy had worked on a game, like a Flash game called Acid Couch uh, that got some attention on IndieGames.com. And so then when we made this, they were just like, hey. You know, you featured our Flash game before. Here's this other weird thing we're working on. Uh, and Mike Rose, who actually works at a, as a game publisher now, No More Robots, was writing for IndieGames.com at the time and picked it up and liked it. And, yeah, I don't know. It spread all over the place, uh, I think partially because it was free and then partially because it was uh, ripe for, like, virality in that uh at least that first game was a lot of the time more fun to watch than play. And at the same time, like YouTubers and streamers and stuff like that, content creators in general, were becoming more and more popular. And so we kind of rode that wave as it was growing. And we, because of that, I think we were nominated for the student game, student competition of IGF. Um, so we took the game to GDC and met a bunch of game developers that, you know, Idols like Cliffy B came by and stuff like that. And I was just like, this is really cool and weird. And I love it. And, you know, (laughs) my wife loves it. My mom loves it. Like, I don't know. It's wild growing up, reading games, magazines, watching. Like I watched the like Halo 2 um, Legendary Edition, like documentary thousands of times. And I think that's also part of what got me into game development or got me excited about game developers in general. And then meeting those people is just like, I don't know, it's like meeting your heroes, it's wild. It's truly Um,
1: inspiring.
0: Yeah, and I don't know, sometimes they say, like, don't meet your heroes or whatever, you'll be disappointed, but I have yet to be disappointed by any of mine that I've met so far, so I feel pretty lucky about that. And, you know, some of the team wanted to continue on to make, like, a full commercial, like, professional-looking Octodad with Deadliest Catch, and some people weren't interested because at the time it was still a pretty big um, risk, you know, trying to... Bootstrap development, create a company, do a bunch of things that none of us had ever done before, or knew how to do, and we ended up with about nine people that were like, "Okay, I want to try and do this," uh, after having a meeting at GDC in like the basement of this weird hostel, mm-hmm. and we decided to try and run a Kickstarter to raise money, which at the time Kickstarter was pretty new. This was pre, you know, Double Fine Adventure, pre Indie Game to the Movie, pre a lot of big projects. Um, that had been on Kickstarter, so it didn't seem as feasible, but also wasn't as competitive as it is now. Like, now you have to have a super polished project to get attention because people are sick and tired of both writing about Kickstarters and seeing them, uh, unless they're, like, coming to the table with something impressive, which at the time, our Kickstarter, I don't think it was that impressive, but I think what pushed us through was just having that free game out that people could try. And that got funded and in about a month, and we formed a company, and... We raised about $24,000, which is a significant amount of money, but is not nearly enough money to pay uh, nine people to work on a game uh, for really any amount of time, uh, at least you know, paying rent and eating and doing all the things you need to do as a human being. And so most of us were working day jobs 40 hours a week and then coming home and working nights and weekends, and then otherwise others were living off savings and loans and stuff like that. And then all throughout development, that's kind of how it went until it came out. And about three months after the game came out, which it came out January 30th, 2014, for the first time on Steam and Humble and through our site and stuff like that, uh, we were all able to leave our jobs and work full time on the game. There's a lot of stuff in between that, but if I went through the whole story, (laughs) it would take hours.
1: Was that the full release
0: or was that like early access uh, when it came out in January uh, that, was the full, that was the full release. Okay. Uh, early access, like, I mean, there were things like Dwarf Fortress, which have been around forever, but early access as a broad concept, as a feasible, like, business model,
2: mm-hmm.
0: was not really a thing then. I don't even know if it was actually a part of Steam yet, but, you know, people had, like, alphas and betas and stuff like that uh, that you could get early access to if you had paid extra
2: Was it challenging to get your games onto major platforms like Steam and Xbox and Sony PlayStation?
0: It's interesting. It it was at the time because at the time, Xbox Live Arcade uh, had started to become popular, and so you saw some of these smaller games get on big platforms that otherwise would have been very difficult to get on, but they were still being often published by Microsoft or by Sony or by Nintendo, uh, like the Bit Trip series, and we had spoken with Sony at GDC about like potentially like, oh, maybe we could be a PS3 game through PubFund, uh, which was their funding solution for some smaller games and studios um, at the time, but we weren't really ready because at that GDC in 2011, we still hadn't officially formed a company. We had never released on a console before, and we didn't have a start to that next game, and we didn't think the first game was polished enough to be, like, kind of worthy of putting out on a console. So we we at least had kind of a basis of a relationship at the time, but it would have been really difficult, and I don't think we were, were ready at all.
2: Very cool. And are there any interesting challenges that you faced along the way of building Octodad?
0: Hmm. I mean, there are, there are a lot of challenges in every kind of arena, but uh, some of the stuff that isn't always talked about as much or isn't you know it's not covered in school really is like the interpersonal relationships on a team and like trying to keep people motivated and excited to be doing what they're doing and invested uh giving each person or like finding for each person a job that they can really care about and feel like they're growing in with in like whatever individual skill set they have so that they feel like they have some ownership over the game even if they don't like absolutely love the part they're working on at the time at least they're getting it. Better at what they love to do. Uh, trying to find that balance, and then trying to also make sure that everybody's doing okay, kind of mental health wise, and making sure they're not working, you know, a wild amount of hours. Even though we were doing kind of a day job and then after hours work to to get the game out on the side, um, that kind of stuff is difficult. And no one, at least like I, none of us had gone to like business school, so we didn't know how to like manage a team. Or anything like that. We never been taught that, mm-hmm. and so it was a lot of like learning on the fly, a lot of asking other developers and other small studios how they had done things, which I think is the the kind of lifeblood and maybe biggest advantage of being an independent developer is that everyone's super helpful and willing to go through things with you of like how like trouble that problems they ran into, how they solved them, and then like giving advice on how you might you know approach whatever it is you're trying to tackle. Whereas in kind of bigger studios, that does happen, but also there's like a matter of like, well, I can't talk about this project because I'm under NDA or whatever. And with like indie circles, we usually call that kind of thing like for NDA where it's like, hey, don't don't tell anybody about this, but I'm not going to make you sign anything or whatever. And yeah, I, I feel like that kind of soft skill stuff is understated in how important it actually is a lot of people focus on like, well, I have to become a really good programmer or a really good artist or a really good uh, sound designer or writer or producer or whatever. And that's true in in those hard skills, but you also have to be cooperative and understanding and empathetic. And and those things are almost more important because if you can't get along with someone, it doesn't matter really how good they are at whatever it is they're doing. You don't want to work with them because you'll be miserable, you know, every day at work. So I think that's like a challenge that isn't it's talked about sometimes and it's being talked about more and more, which is great, but it's still kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, that makes a lot of
1: sense. Everybody's there for a reason. Everybody has something to bring to the table. And, you know, it's getting everybody together and communicating and things like that it is very important when it comes to, you know, creating a vision that you're right.
2: And when you create a project as big as Octodad, I mean, it takes multiple people to work together in a very dedicated and very laser-focused way. So it does make a lot of sense that it would take a lot of leadership and a lot of motivation and a lot of encouraging to make sure that everyone's on the same page and everybody is happy and working towards the end goal, which is to build a great game. And game development takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes... Years to develop a really great video game, and it, it makes so much sense.
0: Yeah, and I mean, part of that is like allowing yourself to kind of fail and then admit that you, you know, you blew it, and like figure out what you can learn from that mistake. And uh, your team's ability to kind of like forgive and grow and help you along the way with that kind of stuff. Because I've seen I've seen some instances in which people like they screw something up and they just kind of get buried for it, uh, and that's the end of it. And that doesn't really... It's not conducive to your team members growing, both as people and as developers. So that's that's definitely part of it as well. The
1: amount of information that everybody has nowadays due to social media and things like that, like, you know what's going on usually through stages of different games development and people sometimes can be very mean and things like that, you know? And it's like if something's not perfect or whatever you know people will just yeah all of a sudden get their pitchforks out and it's hard for people some people to understand that you know game development is it's tough there are many design decisions and and things like that and challenges like you brought up that you have to face every day but it's just like knowing what your vision is staying focused staying grounded
0: and things like that to help you
1: you know see it through
0: yeah i mean i think another challenge um that faces a lot of developers that maybe isn't thought about as much as the the amount of, like, paperwork and the amount of kind of bureaucratic systems you have to go through when working with large companies to release games on large platforms. And while the systems have become much better over the years in, you know, like a, a bigger platform working with a smaller company, it's still a lot of work just to say, like, okay, we want to pick this release date. Well, is the game through certification yet? Has it been approved And then also there's usually like a leeway in which like you have to have it approved a certain amount of time before you can actually pick a release date. And so for when it comes to like doing like a patch and like fixing bugs and stuff like that, it all takes a bunch of extra time that is invisible to a lot of players as like, Oh, well, they're just like taking their sweet time to do this and they don't care and whatever. And it's like, no, they have to work through a lot of different groups of people and systems in order to get, That patch out to all these different platforms and let alone like get it all out to all those platforms on like the same day with companies that all have different policies and and that's why (laughs) a lot of the times you have like a producer or someone kind of scheduling and figuring all that out ahead of time Mm. that's not always something that works out the way that the studio would want you know
2: and you have to get approval from all of these different companies like sony nintendo xbox before that update is rolled out correct Mm mm-hmm okay yeah
0: every every time and that just takes a lot of extra time and those processes have gotten faster over the years but it's still steam steam is one of the only ones where if we wanted to patch something or fix something we could pretty pretty immediately do it like within minutes if it was actually you know fixed and done and ready
2: very interesting now, with new platforms like Origins coming out, are you guys, as developers, paying attention to those new platforms? Are they appealing to you at all?
0: Yeah, Origin and Epic Store Epic. and stuff like that, Epic. they're pretty interesting and the business models are interesting in terms of like Epic saying, you know, here we'll give your game away for free for two weeks and, you know, assuming they pay you for that, uh, some amount of money. Uh, stuff like that is interesting. We kind of have to, as a small studio, I mean, I think every game development studio does, but have to pay attention to the different trends in the industry and where we think things are going and uh, where they've been and how that's kind of all panned out at different scales to plan our next moves. Because being a small studio, it's a lot about trying to match up what you're doing with opportunities as they present themselves and making sure you're picking the right ones for your game and what you think your audience is and, and stuff like that. And it's a lot of being adaptive and <laughs> on your feet. Thinking on your feet about what's going on and what might happen and how things might turn out. And it's easy to make the wrong move or, you know, bet on the wrong horse, so to speak. And I think like that young horses I think like our one of our greatest skills is being super self critical and analytical. And while it can be Kind of defeating sometimes uh, to be like, well, this isn't good enough. It's also, I think, a skill that makes it so that our games often shine in the ways that are most important to the mm-hmm. most players possible. Or at least that's what we go for. It's a motivating factor, too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, obviously, we want to make the best games we can, and every game developer does. But I think something that's easy it's easy when you're first starting out to think something is is good enough and not be critical of it because you want to be done with it. Right. Um, Because you've been working on it a long time and you're like, well, this is good enough. And at some point you do have to say that, but I think we're good at being empathetic with one another and saying like, well, this doesn't really match up to what we should be doing or what we want for these reasons. And, you know, making sure that everybody understands it's nothing personal we all just want to be making the best game we can and trying to be as honest as possible so that you're not letting something that's lower quality than what we want through just because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings and 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 that just comes through like a lot of practice of knowing who you're working with and um what sensitivities they might have and kind of growing and adapting and trying not to to step on people's feelings but still get across like uh, why you think something isn't what it where it should be and how they like some suggestions on like where you think it should go which is all pretty vague, but it's hard to give any advice or talk about much in game development just because everything is incredibly contextual and based on you know just what is going on at the time.
1: right NDAs you
0: you, you have sometimes you just can't say certain things and you know that's totally understandable. Well, and just, like, everybody's situation is very different, and, like, mm-hmm. the, the solution that might work for one team or one game might not work for another at all uh, or make any sense for that team. Right. Competition is, like,
1: at an old-time high, it seems like, now in, in video games and everything. Yeah. Like, games that that rise to the top, like like Celeste from last year. Yeah. And just You know, it's an indie game, but just such a great, like, solid platformer, you know, with a really, really good story to it, too.
0: And yeah, Matt and... Matt and Noel spent a lot of, and the whole team, Lena and all, you know, all of them, spent so much time on making that game just feel incredible um, to play, and the style is so coherent, both from, you know, the look and the music and the way the characters speak to each other. It's, mm-hmm. it's clear that they had a very definitive vision for that game, uh, and then they executed on it really well.
2: Yeah, that was a really, really... Awesome game. I actually got a chance to play it on the Nintendo Switch. Such an yeah. amazing art style and the music in the game. It's such a brilliant game.
0: It's one of the few platformers where I feel like they they really nailed like telling the story through the game itself both both through the dialogue and through the, just like the play of it, which I think is like always the pinnacle of uh, a game release or game development is when when the mechanics of your game can kind of fit with the themes and the storytelling and it all kind of gels in a really nice way.
2: Yeah, and Celeste is one of those games where you can just get lost in it, where you forget about the mechanics, you forget about the real world, and you just get lost in in the game and in the story, and it's such a positive and uplifting um, story. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really cool that GDC is, like, you know, where you guys got noticed with this game and everything and GDC comes next month if I'm not mistaken correct like, yeah that's so i always try to tune into that conference cuz it's super interesting there's like seeing all the developers and and all the games that they're working on and things like that and there's also some interesting like talks that happen there too
0: yeah there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on in there and it's the the first time you go it's pretty overwhelming because there are, i believe over 20,000 people attend the conference or at least in town in san francisco for it and so it's it's a lot it's really exciting though because you get to meet a lot of people and uh kind of pitch your ideas and talk about your game and figure out like what people like and don't like about either how you're talking about it or the game itself and make connections and whether it's just like talking with somebody and being like cool uh you know we'll keep in touch and then like three or four months later it's like they contact you and they're like oh remember we met at GDC and I know you do this and it would fit in really well with what we're trying to do. And it's a lot of like that kind of stuff where you make these connections where you don't necessarily know if they're going to be helpful business wise, but at least you met a cool person. And then like later on, maybe it does turn out to be something that's beneficial for the both of you. And so it's, it's interesting because like, I, I don't know, before going to those types of events, I was a pretty introverted person and I still am the type of person who likes to come home and play games and, you know, whatever. But uh, Mm -hmm. it kind of broke me out of my shell to go to those things and talk to people and realize this whole community of people who are incredibly interested in the same sorts of things. Um, And then you kind of, you lose the nerves a little bit at least.
2: That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Last year we actually went to PAX East and It was such an awesome experience to be surrounded by passionate people in the gaming industry and i think especially in video games you could definitely sense the level of passion and love for video games out there because it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of passion to be able to make a video game and especially a really good game because of the time commitment it takes and the length of time that it actually takes for you to finally realize what you have in front of you and to complete the project so it's so great to be surrounded by so many passionate people who love the creative art of video games
0: yeah those are some of the most motivating um events and times like bringing your game to PAX we've gone to I want to say six of them where we've shown Octod at in the past and bringing the game there and getting to see people smile and laugh and have a good time with it and not only that, but also be sitting there with, like, a notebook taking taking notes on everything they're doing. Uh, it's, you know, definitely, like, the best playtest session, sessions we've ever had, just because you get so many people hands-on. It's it's really motivating to see that when otherwise you're kind of hanging out with the the same people who know the game so intimately every day. And so that's not – you get into a place where the game seems less amazing or less – I don't know, interesting over time just because it's it's, the, it's your day-to-day. It's normal to you, even though it's like a weird, uh, funny thing to someone else. Uh, so it's always nice to go to those events and, and get those reactions. And, oh, yeah, we are doing something good. People do like this. It's worth us, like, continuing to work on just because of, like you mentioned, the, the long amounts of time it takes to make a game.
2: And, and when somebody sees and reacts well to your product, it, it makes you feel feel a sense of pride in what you're doing and it motivates you to keep doing it even though it's hard work to run a company and get a game out there and to sell the game, but you're motivated by the reactions that you get from fans each and every day and it's such a great feeling. Absolutely. How has platforms like the Nintendo Switch affected your strategies in terms of your game releases Are you guys planning on releasing more content for the Nintendo Switch now that it did come out and it's been pretty popular over the last couple of years?
0: It's interesting because Switch has done pretty well for us and like uh, developing for it was really easy because it's kind of based around this sort of Android-esque architecture that we had already put Octodad on. And like we knew at the time, we we figured it was going to be super popular, given that it's this handheld that can play these console uh, level experiences. Um, but uh, you're not really sure how popular it's going to be. But Nintendo usually nails it on on new hardware, uh, at least when they go that kind of mobile route. Um, it's hard to say how it affects our strategy, really, because it's a lot of like wait and see talking to other developers and like, oh, have you guys talked to Nintendo about this? Or have you guys talked to this platform about this? How's that going for you? Uh, You know, are they being super helpful and like forthcoming? Because, you know, platforms aren't always like that, at least early on with um, smaller studios, because usually they want the buy-in from bigger studios that are going to make huge experience, like polished experiences, just to kind of bolster the platform and sell it. But releasing on Switch was, was great. And the game's done pretty well on it, like surprisingly well for a game that is, I think at the time it came out on Switch was in November 2017. Yeah. It's like three years old at the time, and it still did well. And so like that ecosystem is great. I worry a little bit because of how many games have been coming out, kind of in the same way that we really worry a little bit about Steam. Um, Just there's so many games coming out every day. And uh, on Switch right now, it's, a little bit difficult to get noticed because you can get pushed off of that new release list pretty quickly uh, and a lot of the visibility and discoverability on there is based upon your positions on those charts and otherwise the only kind of attention you're going to get is if uh, someone searches for the game directly or if you're releasing you know, uh, news channel updates but then again you're still only going to get the people that have subscribed to that. So I feel like No matter what platform you're releasing on these days, unless you are being published by them and you're getting a lot of attention from them, you pretty much have to be, excuse me, as a small studio, uh, promoting your game for yourself uh, everywhere you can be, Uh, whether that's in previews or on social media or uh, with bigger media outlets or or whatever, or, or through like, you know, a development blog or streaming or. All sorts of different places and all sorts of different things at events like packs and stuff like that. There's really no room to put all of your eggs in one basket. There's no guarantees really. Uh, no matter like how good you think your game is, if no one knows about it, no one's going to buy it.
1: Yeah, they've really opened up the platform to allow all sorts of uh, independent games to be developed. and Everything on there, and it's it'd be nice in the future if they can you know give more of a spotlight.
0: Find a way to curate them. Later. Yeah, they've been they've been doing that a little bit. Um, like the official Nintendo news channel has like an indie spotlight every month of mm-hmm. games that have been released that they think are particularly good. And in, in terms of just emerging platforms, we're always paying attention to kind of everything that is is coming out and seeing like, would this be a good fit for Octodad, or would this be a good fit for our new game that we're working on? And that's a lot of based on like what market or what target audience that game fits in what we think the biggest audience is for each of those platforms, because a game might do well on one and not as well on others. And it's hard to know that until you've released a lot of games and you have the data, but you can kind of ask around and also uh, ascertain that just from looking at um, any public sales data that's been released by different developers for different platforms. Like we uh, talk to the Shovel Knight guys or look at their stuff um, and see how that's done. And while it <laughs> may as well be a Nintendo game, uh, mm-hmm. given just like kind of where their loyalties have lied and where they've released first, um, it's still really interesting to see the kind of breakdowns of their sales on different platforms. And we pay a lot of attention to a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's a big. Making any decision is a large amalgamation of a lot of information from different sources at different times. And it's hard because. All of that data ages very quickly in game, in like the games industry, uh, and so something that you know is from two years ago is no longer really relevant or helpful, other than knowing the history of
2: it. Interesting.
0: It's a very fast-paced business um, in which you kind of have to always be on your toes and trying to like project and understand what might happen in the future.
2: Would you say that it's easier for an indie developer? these days to release a video game as opposed to being a major developer kind of like Bungie well I guess technically now Bungie's an indie right
0: they're independent yeah uh, no I don't think it's easier um I I guess though it depends on like what level of indie are you talking about cuz there's like no funding we're making this game in our you know free time sort of indie and then there's like us or uh, Supergiant or Cappy or, like, a studio that has a little bit of money and uh, staff, and they're doing it full-time. Uh, and while they're independent, they may not necessarily be, like, indie, depending on how you, like, define the word. Uh, that The meaning of indie has kind of changed a lot since, since like, shareware games uh, back in the day.
2: Yeah, I remember those... <laughs> Video games Doom Doom was lag. a
0: shareware game, wasn't it, I think? I want to say that or Quake, originally, yeah. was some, yeah. in some
2: form. And how did you get started in Destiny?
0: I didn't actually play Destiny 1 at all, uh, because at the time, that was kind of in the middle of us either developing or releasing Octodad, and uh, Octodad Delia's Catch, and... At the time, I was like, oh well, this looks really cool, and I've always loved everything that Bungie has done, but I don't know if I can actually have the time to invest because in Destiny One, at least from people, friends I have who played, were like, this is really grindy, and you're gonna need a ton of time to get like out of it what you, uh, what makes it great, and so I just kind of like passed on it. For the time and was like well maybe I'll check that out later but I don't have time for it right this instant and I'm playing a lot of games where it's like there's a definitive end to it but when Destiny 2 came around uh, I kind of reevaluated, and everybody both in the games industry that I'm friends with that plays and then my friends who I used to play Halo with were like we're getting into this you should really get it, you should buy it check it out, it's going to be awesome I started playing Destiny 2 uh, as soon as that came out Uh, on PS4 and played with a lot of the same people I played Halo 2 with online and Halo 1 and 3 and Reach and (laughs) ODST pretty much all of those Uh, and got hooked within I want to say a couple weeks and haven't really stopped playing since I play at least a couple times a week if not more depending on you know the kind of uh, content release cycle and what I've completed and what I haven't and I think that kind of like bungee feel to the gameplay is what hooked me initially just like there is no one better in my opinion at a first person shooter games I would feel I totally agree yeah. with you
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh, I don't know what the secret sauce is but they've had it since Halo yeah nice. just that, that feeling it, that like concept of like 30 seconds of fun over and over again I think it was like Jamie Griesen, uh had talked about I think he talked about it in the Halo Two like documentary. I just remember that so vividly it has stuck with all of other games to where there's this loop of like thirty or forty seconds of for like an encounter that is just super fun and, and tense and exciting and uh rewarding, and just like the guns are so unique. The abilities are so unique, everything feels so them like it has an identity whereas certain call of duties have been really good, but I don't remember the names of guns. I don't remember like right. ...Mass yes. super yeah. well.
1: And that's I very well spoken because that I, I have the same I feel the same way like like the gun play in in, in a bungee game like and especially destiny is like it's it's the best it's they're the best in the biz. So when you take the gun play the tight gun play and the mechanics and then you throw loot in that's right. really exciting and like that that sold it for me yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
2: I think. With Destiny, what keeps me coming back to it, one, the shooting mechanics are absolutely the best of any other game that I've ever played. And also the guns feel the most special. I feel like I have the greatest attachment to the weapons in Destiny more so than any other game. Like, think back when you got a weapon like the Galarhorn in Destiny 1 or, for example, getting a pinnacle weapon in D2 like Luna's Howl. The feeling is so incredible and it feels so rewarding and you have this very special attachment with not only the weapons but your character and the lore behind that and the environment looks so breathtaking on really every platform that you can play on whether you're playing on Xbox, PS4 or PC. The game looks incredible and it feels incredible and it plays incredible that's what Gets me coming back to Destiny each and every time with every new release,
1: and that's how I put five thousand hours into Destiny One. So when you say that you really did,
0: you had to put a lot of time into that game, you weren't you weren't wrong. Yeah, I want to say I'm over eight hundred hours into Destiny Two right now. That's pretty impressive, still between PS4 and PC, because I picked up PC later to play with my brother. Uh, who has it on PC? And I play with like a lot of my friends who played Halo and stuff like that uh, on PS4. Um, and while I'm not as like far along on PC, I've got a Titan on there, and my main, my Hunter is on PS4. I'm still really enjoying it. And it's weird. <laughs> it's weird jumping back and forth between like 140 <laughs> FPS and 30. Uh, that's always weird. I feel like I'm going in slow motion when I get back on PS4. But after, like, I don't know, half an hour. It feels like you're
1: drunk when you're going yeah, to go yeah. sign on and play. It's like,
0: did I just drink something or take something? What's going on here? It's, it's a really weird yeah. feeling, like, adapting between the two. But once you're back on PS4 for, like, half an hour, it feels normal.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely know the feeling because I actually started the game on, well, originally Xbox, but we migrated to PS4. And ever since the game came out on PC, we pretty much moved to the PC. But I do come back periodically to play with old friends on PS4. And going from 144 frames to 30, it does take some time to adjust. Uh, but even on PS4, I don't know if you have a PS4 Pro, the game looks really beautiful in 4K.
0: Yeah, I haven't. just have a normal PS4. Mine is actually a launch, well, pretty close to launch PS4, like two or three months after after launch. Um, but even on the normal PS4, it looks really amazing, uh, given like what they what they have to work with. Um, definitely looks better on PC, but yeah, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm I'm such an advocate for crossplay and cross save. I would love oh. if they would implement it, like yeah. be able to play with my friends on PlayStation and not have to, you know, like, I still play on my PC and play with them on PlayStation. Oh, that would
0: be the dream yeah for sure I don't think cross I don't know if cross play will ever happen yeah uh but I could see cross save with either late in destiny 2's life or with destiny 3 for sure it just makes sense like I want that so badly because I would I really wish I could bring my characters from ps4 to pc and, and back Same. uh just because having to do some of the stuff twice is well let alone you know once per it's character, a grind per it's account a- it's yeah. a grind, <laughs> for sure. And that, that's become even more so since Forsaken. Like, you used to be able to keep up three characters on a platform pretty easily, uh, but ever since the powerful rewards and milestones and stuff have changed and just the amount of stuff you can be doing in any one week has increased, it's become untenable for me to run more than one character, really. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. It's a, It's a good problem to have, you know.
2: There's also a lot more for you to do based on how you want to play the game. So if you want to play Gambit and get the Dredgen Seal, you can go ahead and do that. If you just want to play Raids and you want to get the Pinnacle Rewards for the Raids, you can do that. So it, you can play the game the way that you want to play rather than the way how Bungie intended for you to play.
0: Yeah, that's interesting right. for me because I always end up wanting to play everything to a somewhat equal degree. Like, I enjoy PvP, but I also really enjoy PvE, and it kind of just depends on the day, which is nice, because you can kind of play the game no matter what mood you're in. It sounds like you have a completionist
1: like mentality, too, uh, seeing that you have the Wayfarer badge, and that's that's pretty awesome.
0: A little bit. Only with specific games. Only with games that I, like, really love. To get... I-, I won't spend time on, like, collecting everything or getting all the trophies or achievements or or whatever for just anything. But Destiny, for Mm -hmm. sure, which is, you know, it's just something I'm so invested in at this point in that, you know, I've grown to love, like, the lore and the characters and the world so much that uh, I feel compelled to to get everything I can.
1: Yeah, I love that they put the lore in the game now and everything. And there's a lot. I've got so much to look through that I'm just... (laughs) on well, behind <laughs> but yeah i will i will get to it <laughs> i'd only anyway. heard
0: i have only really heard stories about the grimoire cards and stuff like that um because i you know i came to it late uh and then ever since uh the lore books have been in the game it's been excellent and i have the grimoire anthology yep yeah.
2: Yeah. i got that so
0: and bad. i read through that in like a single day because it was so good the
2: same same i did the same thing it took me one day to read it and oh my god Such an incredible read. If you ever get a chance to read it, for anybody listening, please get it. It's it's totally worth it.
0: It's really worthwhile. I'm excited that Volume Two is coming out in the fall.
2: Do they confirm that it's coming out this fall?
0: That's what it says on the website on the Bungie store. Yeah, I I think Uh, I think I think pre-orders open up uh, at the end of spring or beginning of summer, and then it's coming out in the fall.
2: Well, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. If you go to Bungie.net. You'll be able to pick it up on there, and they also have a comic book that they're going to be releasing, too. Oh Yeah, I'm excited about that. So that I... should be really interesting.
0: Yeah, I really want to check that out, because I know they've been releasing those comics for a good amount of time now, but I haven't actually read any of them, so it'll be cool to kind of get that as a collection and read it all at once.
1: Yeah, during Osiris and Warmind, that's right. They did that. That's cool.
2: Um. So P-Tibs, what are your thoughts on the Bungie Activision split?
0: It's interesting because,
2: like, we can all kind of
0: gesticulate and try and think about what that might mean for for them and for Destiny, but it's hard to know exactly how much was how many of the decisions that happened were really Activision's decisions or Bungie's decisions. There's really no knowing because you don't know exactly what that deal was like or what that relationship was like and it's, you know, a lot of the times both achievements and mistakes are a combination of, like, decisions it's not like uh, one company just said we're going to do this and one company said we're not going to do this or or whatever, it kind of always works out through a negotiation um, in my experience, but in general I think it's a good thing Um, I'm glad that Bungie has kind of complete control over their, you know, their IP. And I think they better than anyone know what to do with it. And they more than anyone care about it and love it. And I'm looking forward to like what they're going to do with that, uh, that amount of control. But it's also very scary, like speaking from experience, uh, because any decisions you make are your own. And so if you screw up, it's your fault. Uh, You can't really blame that on anybody else. I echo everything that you said. Like
1: that—that that is everything that I would would say too. Like and I have said exactly those things. Yeah. And yeah, it just it, it it's awesome to see that they have their you know control of their brand now. But yeah. like you said, now any kind of like problems with the game or anything of that nature will fall solely on them. Now. Yeah. But it's just it's like wondering what happened probably to you know cause the um what was the straw that broke the camel's back you know did it have something to do with that earnings report um in uh, the fall when activision said that forsaken didn't meet yeah. goals that they were looking and that's for. like
0: and that's the key word though is that goals like uh it didn't it doesn't mean that forsaken or d2 didn't sell well it just means it didn't reach activision's goals which activision's goals seeing as they're like publicly traded and they have investors uh are about returns on top of you know money spent and it's not just like hey we went positive in our earnings it's hey did we get a 10 times 100 times return on our investment and if we didn't why didn't we now i'm mad and i'm you know this didn't meet expectations or whatever which I think is, like, I don't know, an awful... Any, anytime you're just doing business and making games only to make as much money as possible,
2: it, it just, I don't... I'm you're in cool. it for the wrong reasons sometimes. Yeah, that's, I'm that's not cool scary. with that. Yeah, uh, I agree. Definitely. And I think that it's also important to note that what goals that Activision will have for the game are going to be slightly different at the very least than from what Bungie would have as their goals. Yes, they want to make money and make sure that the game is doing well in terms of the cash flow, but also there's the aspect of are we keeping the player base happy? Are people continuing to play our game? Because that will affect their future and their longevity. And sometimes as a publisher, you may only consider the next 12 months rather than the long-term sustainability of your brand and your franchise and keeping the player base happy not only for the next 12 months but for the next two three five ten years right
0: for sure bungie has to sit there and think about how they're going to tend to and Provide content for this community that is like exciting to them over the long term and makes them want to keep coming back to Destiny. And it's it's a really wild challenge that like the breadth of I have a hard time under like fathoming, Uh, given that like we at at Young Horses we create you know these one-time experiences that you're only going to play for. You know, anywhere between like two and a half and eight hours or whatever, it's hard to imagine creating something that someone comes back to multiple times a week uh, for potentially years um, and like, continues to be excited about during that whole time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge that Bungie has, and we also have to remember with the Activision split, they are also losing support from great. Companies like Vicarious Visions and High Moon Studios, and also the publishing aspect of their game, which I'm sure it can't be easy to now have to handle not only the entire game development of what they're releasing, you know, in the next six months, but also in the next year or two, and on top of having to worry about publishing their own games. So that does create a unique challenge for Bungie.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see. Uh, how their like events team and marketing and publishing teams might grow or change uh, to kind of accommodate that um, and having to kind of do – because when, when you're working with some of these um, publishers or, or platforms and stuff like that, uh, you're still doing the work. You're still uh, creating those assets oftentimes, and you're still uh, planning those things out, but they handle a lot of the legwork, and so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of fill that gap Um, with their own people or maybe a different team that they they hire to help them with it. I I read all the TWABs not only because I, and and like follow a bunch bunch of people on Twitter and stuff like that, not only because I love the game, but because I'm also just like very interested in the way they do business and the way they handle their community and, and stuff like that. It'll be interesting to see how they handle this transition and how they... Kind of continue on with their studio both in Destiny and any other games they're working on um, in the future, given that they're independent.
1: Yeah, yeah. that makes sense because it seems like their advertising and marketing teams have learned a few things by you know, the different releases that come through with Destiny and working with Activision. So, right. it, you know, are they able to go forward with some of those teams and you know promote within and or maybe bring some people in from the outside possibly too?
0: Yeah, I mean, every time we work with a bigger partner, we learn a lot about how they do things and how maybe we could be doing things in the future. Or if we work with like a marketing firm or something like that, like paying close attention to the kind of templates and plans that they have and being like, well, we could probably do this and like figuring out ways in which in the future we could do a lot of stuff on our own. It, that's a hard part about being both a small and big team is like figuring out when when you should be handling something yourself and when you should be asking for help or hiring help.
2: Yeah, and with a company like Bungie, they have something like 900 employees. So that's a lot of people to have to kind of bring together and, you know, work on the same page with such a large team.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine the logistics in getting all of those people on the same page uh, on such an enormous project where pretty much everything uh, touches or affects like the other. The balancing act of that is, is wild compared to... I mean, like something like Apex Legends or Fortnite or whatever; those are also huge projects, but mostly they they work kind of within their own spaces where it's like this is only a competitive game, um, or this is this is only like a kind of like a battle royale thing or, or whatever. Whereas with Destiny, it's a PVE experience, it's a story and lore experience, it's a, also a PvP and competitive experience if you want it to be. Um, it's also like a collector's like looting type of thing. It's an RPG. It's kind of like all over and all of those things affect one another, especially with the weapons existing in all of those modes being the same weapons, even if they're like slightly tweaked for different, how they affect like a, a guardian or a thrall or whatever. Um, and it's extremely impressive from like a developer standpoint and how they balance all that continuously and then also update it all. To kind of match how players are feeling about the game at any given moment. Yeah, it's 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 truly unique that there you're allowed you take your weapons
1: and that you earn out in the world and you you can use them in and, and PVP. This is like
0: the only game I feel like that you do that. Right, that you can do that. And I I think that's something that like becoming a developer I lost my uh, kind of like anger about games in general. Like I very rarely get angry at a game or like a developer's decision about a game anymore because there's just like I so much more understand and empathize with like what they're going through and what they're trying to do and I understand that like no game developer wants a player to have a bad experience and are trying their best to you know make sure they're having a good one um and so even when like mistakes are made or something comes out and it's not as great as maybe I thought it was going to be I'm like well I understand like realistically not everything can be spectacular and a lot is informed by, uh, what you thought of the content before it and the person's perspective and, like, did that person have a good or bad day when they played that game? And, like, I don't know. There's just so much stuff involved. Um, although not saying not saying I won't say, like, hey, this was a bad decision or this was a good decision. Uh, I'll definitely do that, but I'm never going to be, like, uh, malicious about it.
2: Yeah, ultimately you you give constructive feedback to help the game get better rather than to be... Critical to a point where you're putting somebody down as a game developer, and that's what I really don't agree with. I think that can lead to some really toxic uh, behavior in our industry. For sure. Uh, and and the media isn't always very nice about things too.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting uh, seeing writers. I, I've known people who've worked in games media who have then worked moved into game development and. Seeing their opinions change, or at least their like kind of general attitude change between those two jobs, is always interesting. Because like, oh, this is like the kind of this is the kind of stuff you guys were going through while trying to put these games out. Like, I understand why this is this way now, and I'm a little bit more. You
1: uh, see the forest for the trees, and everything. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Now, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this year's annual pass model with the? annual pass and season of the forge and the upcoming season of the drifter
0: so before it came out i wasn't sure what to think i knew i was going to keep playing destiny 2 and um given that forsaken was out and forsaken was such like a phenomenal release i was pretty i was pretty ready to take the risk of just saying i'm going to buy this annual pass now before it even comes out and before i really know what it is uh outside of like This is going to make the game even more of a live service game. And then when Black Armory came out, I I understood people's um, people being upset that like you know I have to grind out like maybe 15 uh, light before I can get into a forge, um, and then even then it's still difficult. Or maybe if I have like a perfect team, we can still beat the forge at 600. But I was happy to just like. Have something to work towards, uh, and was fine with it taking like I don't know three or four hours before I got into my my first forge. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting because it was an onboarding problem where it's just like, oh, like people have been asking for end game experiences and have been asking for a little bit more of a grind, and so we're gonna give that to them. Uh, but then people realizing like, well, I don't want this kind of grind, <laughs> and just like trying to accommodate all players of all. Uh, skill levels in all um, commitment levels to the game has to be wildly difficult like people who I'm only play Destiny like two hours a week but I still want to be able to play this new content that I paid for and then people who are like I play every single day and I'm bored because I've done everything and I don't care because I can just hop into this thing because it's only going to take me four or five hours to grind out the light that I need or like a day to grind out the light I need and I play every day so it's fine um, and then all the in between Accommodating all that seems really difficult and I like what they're it looks like they're going to be doing with season of the drifter with those boost um, bounties from from the drifter to bring people up to I believe six forty. It seems like a good compromise where you still kinda have to do some work to get there, but it's only gonna I think they estimated like an hour of work before you get to the new 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 content. But in general, for the season, the annual pass, I've been pretty positive, and I thought like the amount of stuff I got in Black Armory for about what is it, like eleven or twelve dollars? If you kind of divide it in three, it felt really worthwhile to me. You know, that's like eating out one time at a cheap place in Chicago, which is where I'm at. So uh, it felt it felt super worth it. And I know people can't always make those kinds of value comparisons or like don't always see things that way but I always think about like well, how much money am I going to go spend to go to the movies for like two hours and it's a different thing because you're watching something you're not interacting with it and, and you know you just get it as it is but still like you go out and spend $14 or whatever for a movie ticket and you see that movie once and then you have to wait and then buy it again when it comes out again whereas you know I play Black Armory and I spend you know 12 bucks for that that part of the annual pass and I get like, I've probably put in at least 40 hours and it's all been good. So I I don't know. I feel pretty positive about it and I'm excited for, for season of the drifter. And then I think they just named it today season of opulence, which used to be Penumbra.
1: Yeah. I think they're learning, you know, they're just like you brought up with the ketchup bounties and things like that. They're learning to, uh, they're, they know their game better than, you know, anybody else. And, they know when things need to be implemented, and they've been doing that quicker. And you know, just like when Black Army came out, they were really quick to make the change where, you know, they brought the power level down immediately of that for, uh, that first forge and everything, because people just were banging their
0: heads up against the wall and not be able to complete it. And yeah, I think like that, that I think that was within like one day. Or two it days. was, yeah, yeah. Yep. That was really impressive i they they're definitely in tune with the community and want to do everything they can to make everybody happy and that's part of the you know the Challenge. the job they have yeah. for sure um, but it, if you if you think about it within like game development time frames, going from um, when did black armory come out beginning of December I think mm-hmm. yep uh, going from December then 5th. on. Yeah, until March 5th, next week, when Season of the Drifter comes out. That's not that long of a time, especially... And, like, I know months. they've been working on Season of the Drifter before that, but they also have been incorporating all the feedback from Black Armory into Season of the Drifter to make sure that that, like, onboarding experience is a lot smoother and to make sure that they are in tune with what players want out of that experience. And to do that <laughs> with only, like, yeah, three months... Uh, maybe, you know, given that also like December is a minefield of holidays and time off uh, that people deserve it's pretty impressive what they came out with, uh, with the trailer for Season of the Drifter with the Vidoc today I was surprised honestly by how much stuff between just Season 6 and Season of the Drifter both free and paid for stuff there was going to be to do uh, and earn And I'm really excited for it. And I I think like 35 bucks for an entire year's worth of continuous content, whether people call it like time dated or whatever, is great. Because I like being able to hop in and do something for a week and know I can accomplish it, and know that there's going to be a new thing for me to accomplish the next week instead of just eating all the content at once and then being bored. Yeah,
1: some outlets would charge like 30 bucks for all this stuff that we're getting with Season of the Drifter. So this (laughs) this is an ultimate value that I feel like we're getting with this upcoming content
0: release i mean yeah. it's basically a very cheap subscription service uh given like compared to something like world of warcraft which i think is like 15 dollars a month
2: yeah on top of paying for the base game so you're still paying 60 bucks for the game right but on top of that you're paying 15 dollars each and every month
0: and like I mean, final fantasy 14 right too well with destiny right now there have been so many good sales on the base game plus like the it's like the ultimate collection or something like that where you get base destiny 2 you get uh curse of osiris and warmind and then you get forsaken and it's like 60 bucks for all of those if not less depending on if there's a sale or something like that uh and then you pay like 35 for the annual pass like i don't know that's for the amount of time i've spent playing this game it's an incredible value uh
2: for me yeah yeah and that's kind of how i judge the value of a video game i look at how much time i'm going to spend in the game and if it's a considerable amount of time like with destiny then it's well worth the cost of admission even if it was more expensive than what it is i think that 35 dollars for a year's worth of content is nothing if you really divide it by you know even nine months minor
1: hours you're gonna get out of that time
2: yeah, and I've had some really fun moments in Black Armory. Um, I've had a lot of fun getting the Blast Furnace and getting my arc. That was a lot of fun. Um, I also enjoy a lot of the lore and a lot of the backstory that may not be inside of the game as we would expect as a campaign or as adventures, but there's still so much there if you actually take the time to read through the lore. Yeah. It's very fascinating, and there's a lot for Black Armory, and according to the developers, the new upcoming season is going to have a lot of very interesting lore as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like it. I think one of the things that uh, one of the small details I really loved about Black Armory is that after I had kind of read the the lore book for it, which I definitely did an AFK, like I'm going to work. I'm going to take all of my armor down to, uh, like 200 lights so that anyone I match up with in, in, uh, I think it a forge, uh, is also doing this and just like, let it sit to get all of that lore from that lore book all day. And then, uh, but I, I read through all of that and there's a part where they talk about like Ada's mother, uh, like singing her songs like in French and stuff like that. And if you're on the tower, uh, by Ada, one of her, like, incidental, like, dialogue lines when you're just kind of hanging out is she starts singing this song in French. And it's, I don't know, there's just, like, a lot of really cool, small details built into the game that aren't always super apparent, but are really spectacular when you notice them or run into them. Or, or like, yesterday I was playing and was just running to grab clan bounties and stuff and I ran by the ramen shop and I walked in there just to, like, I don't know, look around and Noticed that there's like a portrait of a of uh Kate on the wall that I never noticed before and it's just like him giving a thumbs up and I was like, When did this get added into the game? Has this always been here? I don't know, but like it's a really just cool little detail.
2: Yeah, absolutely. For the members of our uh, audience who are looking to break into the gaming industry, what advice would you give them?
0: I think no matter whether you're gonna try and, and make things on your own and release them on your own, or if you're going to try and work for a bigger uh, studio or at a platform, the most important thing is that you're making games uh, and completing games and releasing games. Even if it's for free, even if it's just on your website or on H.I.O. or on, on something like that, starting a small project and working through it to completion to where it's playable and you have it out there and people have played it is... One of the more impressive things, because it's a really difficult thing to do. It's difficult to stick with an idea from start to finish. It's difficult to, you know, develop that idea, and it's scary to release it and have people play it, even if it's only a few people. And so I think, like, when we're doing hiring, which we've only hired a couple times now since we're so small, and are trying to be really responsible uh, with with how we hire. Even then, though, when looking at resumes, to me, the most impressive thing is seeing, like, oh, here's two or three small games that I've worked on and that are like, you could go play right now. And, like, here's what I did on them. So I guess in terms of advice, if you want to get into the games industry, no matter what uh, kind of discipline you're working within, whether it's, like, sound design or compos- uh, music composition or design or programming or art of some kind or writing have a list of the projects you've worked on and access for the person that you're hoping will hire you to go and take a look at them and and see what you did on them Um, and that the game is complete and you know that includes things like menus and help sections and all the stuff that seems boring but that is important to like a completed project Yeah.
2: Yeah, and that definitely shows to someone who's hiring that you are not only able to learn that you're able to actually apply that knowledge to what you're doing and you can discipline yourself enough to actually see through and make a project from start to finish and that could be a a really impressive thing to someone who's looking to hire for whatever project they need help with
0: yeah and it shows that you can properly kind of scope a project and understand what your limits are and be able to complete and like follow through on those things. And I think even more than just like projects from classes, what's most impressive is if someone is taking the time out of their free time um, to go and create something just because they believe in it.
2: That's really great advice. Because a lot of the times,
0: to be honest, like degrees and stuff like that are, are nice. And I think having like a four year degree is beneficial in that you'll have all those general gen ed like classes and uh like a broad scope to your education and that you'll have a lot to draw from inspiration wise or knowledge wise when creating something while that is all like excellent what really matters is like have you worked on games and 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 do you know the process and kind of like what your skill set and contributions were to those projects that's some good insight
2: yeah and uh p Tibbs. From what you're able to share, of course, we don't want you to break any kind of agreements. Um, what are you currently working on as far as your day-to-day?
0: Uh, so pretty much since the, since Octodad has released, we've been working on both putting it on every platform that makes sense and then also keeping those all up-to-date, fixing bugs, uh, do working support, uh, working through our forums and stuff like that. But we've been working on a new game since, I want to say, like, February 2015 in some capacity, where, like, me and a couple other people might have been working on Octodad ports for different platforms, but then the rest of the team had—we uh, had all kind of started this new project in its infancy, and in just, like, everyone on the team pitches their ideas uh, for different games— and then we kind of evaluate which of those makes the most sense for the team to work on. And then we prototype three of them uh, in a basic way. And then we work towards figuring out which of those is going to be our next project, if any of them. And so we've been working on a new thing uh, full time for about three years now. Uh, and it's a significantly larger game than Octodad and more involved game. And it's a, it, it still has our kind of style to it, which what we go for both... In terms of tone and, and story and mechanics, is something that is accessible that anyone could play, uh, but that uh, has depth there for those who who want to look for it, and that also uh, a kid or a person of any age could enjoy, but that if you're an adult, you're probably going to get a little bit more out of it than anybody else. I, I we're not on the the quality bar of like a Pixar. But I think when you go and see a Pixar movie, there's something there for everyone to enjoy, no matter their their background or um, their age or life experience. And we go for that same sort of vibe the best we can. It's it's always something that um, we try to make sure that it, it has heart and it's most likely going to end up funny in some way, we hope, just because that's the kind of people we are. We're always joking around, that sort of thing. And it's... Uh, one of the other things I can really say right now is it's colorful and vibrant and that the game um, genre is completely different than Octodad.
1: That's really cool. Cause I, I've, I've been, um, I've been having a lot of fun with Octodad and I'm going to, I'm going to play that through cause I, am I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. So I'd be definitely interested in checking out your guys's new project. And when the game releases, I will definitely, I will definitely play it and it sounds fun.
2: We'll definitely Thank keep you. an eye out for it for sure. And, uh, I feel the same way. I can't wait to play more of Octodad and to uh, hear more about your new project and hopefully sometime in the future get a chance to play it.
0: Yeah, if you get a chance um, and if you have somebody nearby to play with, you should try out the local co-op for Octodad where each of you can play as a limb on Octodad at the same time uh, because that's usually a really fun party thing to do. Oh, I have to play with my kids. My my
1: kids are really they once they found out that uh, one of the creators would be on our podcast, they were their eyes lit up because they
0: love Octodad. Oh, that's
2: awesome. Yeah. Yeah. One of my buddies also, as soon as he heard that we're gonna have one of the Octodad creators on the show, his kids got really really excited. It's it's so awesome to get a chance to play through a game in a genre of a game that we normally wouldn't get a chance to play. And once you do, it's, 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 it's like a breath of fresh air.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely different, uh, which is very on purpose.
2: That's really, really cool. And we cannot wait to check out your uh, upcoming game. And I'm sure we can learn more at younghorsesgames.com when it is ready for release, correct?
0: Yep, uh, there and on all of our, our social media, uh, at Young Horses, on Twitter and Young Horses Games on Facebook.
2: Awesome. Well, it was really great learning about all of the awesome and exciting things that you are working on and to get your perspective on the many things from video games in general to Bungie. And we're going to dive into some really cool topics as Destiny fans. We're going to talk about the season of the Drifter. And what was revealed earlier today. But before you do, I do want to mention that you can find our podcast on all of your favorite podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Podbean, and more. You can also find us on the web at www.destinyshow.com for all of the latest Destiny news. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Destiny Show for all of the latest uh, updates about our podcast. Uh, we're also doing a really exciting new thing with Toe Jam & Earl. We are doing a giveaway, and you can win a copy of Toe Jam & Earl if you leave a review for our podcast. And if you take a screenshot and tweet it to us with hashtag DSP ToeJam, you will be entered to win a copy, a digital copy of ToeJam & Earl And winners will be announced and chosen on our next episode on March 7th, I believe. So with the March 8th episode, you will have a winner, and we hope you check that out. Uh, But now, the time has come where we talk about the Season of the Drifter ViDoc reveal that was announced earlier this morning. It was an 8-minute video, I believe, from the developers. And we saw some really exciting stuff today. The Drifter has a mysterious cargo attached to his ship. And we are going to dive into all of the mysteries and all of the secrets that will be launching next week on March 5th with Season of the Drifter.
1: Yeah, we're going to be able to enter that rock and find out all the interesting things he's been keeping in there.
2: Yeah, and the developers had promised with the drifter expansion we will be getting the coolest lore that we've gotten in the game so far we will be getting new gear new weapons exotic quests and yes plural exotic quests more than one we're going to get new lore and new weekly activities and also we will be getting power surge bounties which are guaranteed bounties that will give you light 640 drops, which will allow Guardians to catch up and get to the 640 light level within the first two hours of playing the game once the new season begins on March 5th.
1: Yeah, and uh, Thorns coming back. Like, confirmed. Now We saw it in the last trailer that, with the last word with a quick reveal, and now pretty much confirmation, you know, actual confirmation.
0: I mean, it's basically the other side of the coin for last word, right? Yep,
1: yes. It is the Weapon of Sorrow. Um, It was a weapon held by Dredgen Yor, which was used to kill guardians.
2: I'm really excited to learn more about the lore behind the uh, Thorn, and I'm hoping they flush that out more with this expansion and I'm wondering if this one will be available to all players, because we did get a updated calendar for the Destiny Roadmap, and one of the exotic quest lines will be available to all Destiny 2 players. There will be another one that's only available to annual pass holders. I
0: believe Thorn is the one that's going to be available to everyone, because... They said it was going to be Week 2, which, if we go by the, the gameplay calendar, it looks like there's uh, an exotic quest in Week 2 that is a free seasonal update. Yeah,
1: I think... I agree. I agree with that. I'm I'm pretty much on board, with I think that's going to be available to all players.
2: And that's going to launch on March 12th. There is going to be a quest line called the Allegiance Quest. And from... Mm-hmm all indications it looks like that will be beginning the thorn quest line and it's going to go into the invitation of the nine which is well no invitation of the nine that's something different isn't it that's yeah the, that's think, what Zer
0: bounties became
2: Zer bounties. do you, do
0: you yeah. think the thorn quest and the allegiance quest are the same um because it seems like they talk about the allegiance quest in the the post on bungie.net, uh, and they talk about it as picking between uh, siding with the vanguard and siding with the drifter um, in kind of their uh, I don't know if you'd say like their theology, but like just their the way they approach like what the problems are in the world, um, and it seems like the it's that they say the pledge is character-based, so you can choose to pledge with the Vanguard with one of your characters and pledge with the Drifter with another one, and you kind of get a little bit of a different story from either side. And I don't know if that's completely yes. in tune with, with the Thorn quest or not, because it seems like...
1: And they said that's going to be coming the second week.
0: Yeah, yeah and I can't, tell, I can't tell if that Allegiance quest is free or part of the annual. It looks like it's part of the annual content, so... I don't think it could be tied with Thorn if Thorn is free.
2: Yeah. That is really interesting. Let's. So I think it's
0: two separate things.
2: You may be right. Let me take a look here and see what it says about
0: that. Yeah, because they had that
1: the roadmap today. For some reason, I'm having a hard time locating that right now. I thought it was on the Bungie uh, website, but... You, um...
2: you know what? Well, you're You're totally right about this because I'm looking at the the actual roadmap, and for the Allegiance Quest, it has it listed as part of the annual pass content, not part of what's available to everybody.
1: Also... Oh, gameplay calendar. Yeah,
2: and if you look at where it says Exotic Quest, that's actually a separate thing from the Allegiance Quest, so that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to see if what that annual pass Exotic is... Uh, yeah. Is it like Icebreaker or something like that? If, if, it it, was if it's,
2: icebreaker if it's okay. new
0: or if it's returning, I don't know. Yeah.
2: Part of me wants to say that it's, think it's probably, probably going to be something new, although I would love for it to be the Icebreaker because the Icebreaker <laughs> is one of my favorite exotics in D1. So if it was the Icebreaker, I would take it in a heartbeat. Um, I almost think it's going to be something new
0: Yeah. that's available... You think they'll do something where it's like a oh, thorn is the kind of returning weapon, and then the next one is going to be something completely new.
2: I'm almost thinking that's what that's what it would ultimately be. Although again, having the icebreaker come back would be pretty awesome. But I think that instead of bringing two returning weapons back, they would probably bring one new and one returning. That would make more sense for them to yeah. do.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting um, seeing player reactions to returning weapons. Or returning activities, um, and like how some people are really excited, uh, like going back to the Cosmodrome, and then other people are like, oh, this is recycled content. Like, I'm, you can't just play on nostalgia. Like, it's wild different people's reactions to those sorts of things. And then, from my perspective, it's interesting seeing and playing with these weapons that I've only heard about from the first game from, you know, friends of mine.
1: Nostalgia play is very big for me. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of nostalgia. So, anytime yeah. they do anything like that, like I would love the integration of Destiny 1 into Destiny 2 eventually. Or if we're able to play Destiny 1 or however they want to do it. I mean, right. I'm fine with this too. I'm fine with them introducing old weapons and things like that on um, quests and hopefully the old raids too. Because I think a lot of people haven't got a chance to play that content. And right. I, like, some of the, those
0: raids are the best raids, in my opinion. I love them. I actually went out of my way when that Thunderlord quest came out, and I played it, and I thought that area was so cool. I bought, I went back and bought Destiny 1 with the expansions and just, like, started playing through some of that just to see, like, what was this game like, you know, years ago, and how has it changed just from, like, a developer perspective? It's really interesting. Um, and some of those locations are so cool and, like, open, uh those environments, being very often like outside in a big open space that feels enormous, even if it's not necessarily, uh, was interesting. Right. Um, and then just like the changes to the HUD and the way you uh, manage your items and stuff like that, it's wild what they've gotten to now. Now it feels so much better, and I can't tell if it's only because of I'm so much more used to the new way, or if it's because it's just been such an improvement. Um, quality of life-wise?
2: I would say it's a little bit of both, because I think they have made some really substantial upgrades to the game since Destiny 1 had come out. Um, The way that you manage your inventory, even. I remember back in Destiny 1, you would essentially grind out for three of whatever your favorite gun would be, because you didn't have uh, apps like DIM where you can literally log on and very quickly change your inventory. You would have to literally go to the tower and do all that manually. So you would oftentimes have three Galarhorns or three Fatebringers because it made right. more sense if you're running three characters, you would have that. But also the, from a UI standpoint, they made quite a few changes in Forsaken because we did not have Triumphs in the game the way that all of the different lore tabs are included in the game. That didn't exist. Collections. Before the collections, yep.
1: And I think that's why the game sometimes has a seizure. Anytime you're, like, moving <laughs> stuff over and it gets all these... you, right. know, you find all these lost sectors and all this stuff. And, in theory, you know.
0: those are supposed to be fixed on yes. Tuesday. Yes, that's true. They Which are. is nice. Yep. yep. Yeah, I think in terms of uh, in, in including that older content, I don't know if that will happen, but I think once Destiny 3 is released and if it's still like a self-published, independent Bungie thing, I could imagine that being then like the definitive, ongoing service where everything from there on out stays. Yeah. And more of a traditional like MMO, like build upon what you have style.
2: Well, that way it also allows for them to make use of the content that was already created, so... Right. They have a lot more options with what they're able to do in terms of creating new game modes and building on to the game instead of pretty much every two, three years discarding everything they've worked on and starting fresh and I, I don't necessarily think that was the best decision for them. but you it know,
0: feels like they just it, it swung too far in one direction um, from being a like super hardcore experience. Being a very casual, kind of accessible, easy experience, uh, and finding the middle ground seems to have been like a difficult task for for Bungie in general. Just given kind of balancing whether it be the sandbox or uh, difficulty of activities, sometimes they've been like way too hard for where players are at. Sometimes they've just been way too easy, and it's like, oh well, I'm done. Now what do I do? Uh, and it's been interesting watching them try and figure out what the balance of that is. And I think they've gotten better at it over time, and it's been less of a dramatic swing, but at least going from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2, from what I know about the first game and from talking to friends about it, it seems like it was a huge change.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with all everything you just said there, because, I mean, that's how it seemed like it was perceived. Like, you know, the game had become more casual and things like that. You know, they went from 6v6 down to 4v4, and right. they, they pretty much, you know... All the game modes were they were it was quick play or competitive. You know we couldn't select, we couldn't do clash or control or anything like that anymore. You know, yeah. and it just seemed like they they went. You're right, they went too far in the other direction, and things like that. And it, but the the thing that's encouraging is we know we're going to go back to the dreadnought at some point because yeah. in that in that final cutscene of <laughs> Destiny 2, you, you can see after um, I believe. Um, What was it? Um, Where are we right now? (laughs) Reef. After the reef is uh, the Dreadnought. Right. So sometime pretty soon, and we're going to go back to the Dreadnought.
0: Well, right, because everything the light touched as it, like, emanated out. It was Uh, like a roadmap, basically. I'm interested to see. (laughs) I'm interested if, if they definitively knew that or if they said that at the time because they believed that's what it was going to be, like, the cadence and release of things. And if that at all painted them into a corner of, like, having to do that once they said it. Or if they feel like they could just be like, well, you know, we said that before, but we're actually going to do this. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. <laughs> is it, like, ARG or something? Well, or it just it... seems like such a, like, uh, long-term, like, Hail Mary, like, <laughs> this is definitively the order of things. Uh, right. Is, is wild, even though it's, it is a pretty big picture, but I don't know.
1: So far, everything has became true with it. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: Now, what do you guys think of the power surge bounties that are being introduced where you can, within an hour or two, get your light level up to 640?
1: I think that's a good thing. I think yeah. that gets people into the content
2: quicker. I'm
0: excited. I'm excited that my Warlock might become a character I use at all. Yes! Um, yes! Yeah. Because I've got three characters, but I've really only played uh, my Hunter and my Titan. Same! My, my Titan is still low. It's like... 585 right now um because i just didn't have the time to keep up with everything my hunter's at 650 but i want to bring those other two up especially with things like this allegiance quest if there are quests where uh you can play with multiple characters so that you can kind of play it from uh different story angles yeah, I definitely, that. Mm-hmm. yeah I definitely want multiple characters up there to be able to do that with because i want to experience the know, full experience whatever. absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah. I'm all for it, and I'm I'm happy that they've given players like where maybe they skipped uh, Black Armory, or maybe they have only just started Forsaken, and they've only just bought into it when they saw the trailer for Season of the Drifter, and being able to then do those bounties and then jump into that Season of the Drifter content pretty quick is is nice. Yeah, uh, and and you know like people who are already there will be able to jump into it immediately, and so there's no real drawback for anyone. Um, and it's not like they're giving everyone, you know, every exotic uh, from quests or anything like that, and all the uh, the guns and armor. They're just giving them the ability to play the activities, which I think yeah. is pretty fair. And Luke Smith hinted at this
1: in his uh, in his uh, letter to us. And his yeah. um, basically, he said there's going to be other ways for people to, you know, catch up and to get into the content quicker. You know, we these are things that we learn and.
2: Yeah, and this was a major thing they learned from the previous um, content drop with Season of the Forges where a lot of people were locked out from playing the Forges because they weren't high enough level. And it was to a point where they had to grind for multiple weeks at a time before it was even a realistic thing for them to dive into the new content. So I like this uh, new system where players can jump right in and enjoy the content whether you've been playing the game from the very beginning or whether you're just coming in after a break and it it unites people it gives you the options to play with your friends even if your friends took a break from the game which yeah and
1: they're putting emphasis on the gear and the content and things like that and not the light level i love that i love this change
2: Absolutely. There's yeah, There's less of an emphasis on power level and more on the physical drops that you're actually getting in the game. And it's funny because last night we were playing the Leviathan Raid and you mentioned something very interesting how, well, the light level of my drops aren't really that good so it's not as mm-hmm. meaningful. But then at the same time, we actually were running one of our friends through the Leviathan Raid to try to get him some new drops, maybe get him things like the Midnight Coop. And the purpose of now playing these raids is no longer a light-level chase. It's now, okay, we want to get the drops that maybe we didn't get before. Or even things like the Legend of Acrius uh, ornament. uh, (laughs) Yeah, for Prestige. prestige. The catalyst. The catalyst, I'm sorry. It it gives you more meaning for grinding the game, and it gives you a greater purpose rather than just a number that you're chasing. I don't want
0: to jump jump ahead but i am then interested to see where that light level does play a factor like if it's in it seems like it might be in the reckoning with the tears in the reckoning or something to do with gambit prime i don't even know what invitations of the nine (laughs) is really i'm interested to see where that plays a factor um (laughs) if, if it's anything more than just like well i'm leveling up and i'm getting stuff and that's nice
2: and Gambit Prime was actually announced earlier today with the ViDoc that we received. It is a single round activity and they have a very interesting mechanic where you can drain the motes from your enemy team. And in addition to that, they have an all new system with how they have primeval phases. It's going to be a more challenging boss fight that requires a team to work together and figure out mechanics, much like if you were playing a raid, in order to beat the prime evil. So I, yeah. I, I do like these changes that they're bringing with the new uh, gambit mode called Gambit Prime.
0: Well, I think it's going to solve some of the problems uh, we have in current gambit with boss burning, where it becomes too formulaic, and there's not enough mechanic involved, other than like when you maybe you get the meatball or something like that, when you have to take down its shield. When, um, yeah.
1: You're, mm-hmm.
0: Because otherwise, it's just get rid of the envoys, melt the boss. Um, and at this point, there are strategies that are so ingrained in like how you play Gambit that it feels less exciting. And so I'm I'm glad they're adding in more things you have to do mechanically, ways you have to coordinate your team in order to actually burn those primevals down. Um, and I'm interested to see... The Reckoning, which seems to be kind of like a result of a Gambit Prime match. Like, if you win, then you go to the Reckoning, it seems like, uh, which is this area through a portal in the Drifter's ship uh, that takes you to, like, an area that's created by the Nine, which is wild to f- think that the Nine and the Drifter are kind of working together, and then that, you know, the Nine has also been talking, or at least the Emissary has been talking with Marsoff, and I don't know, it's all... It's connecting. so
1: interesting, and yeah, I mean, I think things are going to get super interesting uh, come with this season, too. Um, they're definitely setting up for something, but yeah, I, I like that you brought up that with the Reckoning, too, because uh, we're going to be getting the Tier 1 of Reckoning yeah. that first uh, day, so I'm definitely interested in checking that out. And I can't well. tell if that's like a sort of horde mode or what. It looks like a semi-one, because, I mean, there's a, it's timed. It,
0: right. It looks like it's timed it's everything. timed and tiered mm-hmm. and so I, I mean you can i think definitely say that it's not going to be an infinite thing like a traditional horde mode would be but it seems like a maybe a boss rush type thing
1: yeah yeah and they said it's like um similar to what crota's end was like mm-hmm. where you right. you're they're storming this uh, they're storming the area and then you're jumping down into this pit basically yeah. you know so it's like it's really cool
2: yeah and it is going to be a, a timed activity so You have to pretty much beat the clock to defeat all of the enemies in the wave, and you have to be quick about it, is what was emphasized during the ViDoc. It's a very fast-paced event. I think,
0: to me, the most, outside of the additional mechanics for burning down primevals, the most interesting new thing about Gambit Prime is the addition of armor sets that kind of imply roles for each player. That was really interesting to me, too. And I'm, I'm curious. There's four of them. Uh, there's the Reaper, the Invader, the Collector, Collector and the Sentry. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And the Reaper, it seems like, is your main Slayer, taking down ads. Invader is pretty self-evident and similar to what we've been doing before, although it seems like now you'll have the ability to steal moats from the other team's bank. And I don't know if that's the invader's job solely. Like, are you walking up to their bank and, like, connecting a hose and, like, siphoning gas, basically? (laughs) (laughs) And then you have the collector, who's the main moat carrier, and then a sentry who is left behind to kind of defend your uh, moat bank. Um, And I'm interested to see how much those armor sets and their perks really affect your ability to do those jobs and i'm excited to be able to sit there and like collect all four of those sets and be able to switch between them and use them for different you know like um team loadouts
1: yeah it sounds really cool yeah um it's um you know the the dynamic they're changing the dynamic and you're getting roles and just there's gonna be more team (laughs) comprehensive you know composition things like that because i'm I'm gonna go for invader i that's what i like to do i like to go and slay the other team because that's That's a lot of fun to me because I'm I'm a I'm a PVP player as well as a PVE player and I you know I that's what how I um lengthened my time in Destiny one that's how I reached 5,000 hours because I played an ungodly amount of PVP things like that so because um, I yes I've come from Halo I yeah. played I played Halo I played a bunch of Halo games so
0: you brought it up but I hadn't even thought about the fact that you have these four different um, jobs. And then for each of those sets of armor, for each piece of that armor, you will also have rolls and perks that right. vary. So that's like a lot of um, kind of looting and collection possibility.
1: Right, and just different builds and you know different perks that you get with those set rolls and things like that, too.
2: And also the armor looks really, really cool. It's It has this really unique glow, and even in the weekly update, they went out to talk about the changes they're making for colorblind uh, functionality to be visible. But their goal was for you to see a person you're playing with or against and you'll very easily identify them as being the Reaper or the Collector or the Sentry and you know that they have these very special and unique abilities that you're going to have to counter either through your own build out or through the you know your teammate.
0: I think this is a great change for matchmaking Um, just because you'll have a better idea of your team kind of layout and like who is most interested in doing what. Um, And if they're actually doing what the color of their armor says, uh, then you can kind of trust in them to do that job or know someone is covering it. Whereas right now in Gambit, you know, who knows what anyone wants to be doing or is doing um, unless you're actually, you know, like chatting, voice chatting with them.
1: Yeah, and they want everybody playing this. You know, That's why right. they're offering different avenues for people to get the base game and the DLCs that they don't have to spend so much on the annual pass to get them in playing this content.
0: Right. What I thought was cool, actually, about the support um, for colorblind modes outside of it just being cool that it's more accessible is that from colorblind players, something I've heard is that it's really annoying when you put those types of filters over the entire screen uh, because it kind of makes everything else feel more washed out, uh, generally. And that they are only making these changes to, like, the specific colors that you need to know in the game on the armor so that everything else still kind of looks how it should look or looks uh, the way it does to everyone else. Um, because generally colorblind people are only that way with, like, a couple dominant colors, uh, so it says on here, and so I thought that was really cool that they paid that much attention to um, what those players would want from that experience, and it's not hindering the rest of like their view of the game.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I do have a colorblind thing, I, I so I can very much relate to what they're doing, and I appreciate the fact that they are putting so much thought and detail into how they design their game to be accommodating to people with different
0: Limitations? Yeah, limitations. I don't know.
2: There we go. I like that word.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, like, uh, there are a lot of other larger games that do not go out of their way to do that kind of stuff, at least not in this kind of detail. And so it's always cool to see a huge game uh, take up that responsibility of, you know, giving everyone an equal chance to understand and play the game at the same level.
1: Yeah, it allows that person to yeah. identify,
0: you know, the, the who, who is doing what,
1: you know, so you can right. get more information.
2: And... Also, we are getting some new maps with new Gambit modes. In week one, we're getting a new map that's taking place on Mars called New Arcadia. And then for week two, we're getting a new Titan map called Deep Six.
0: I'm pretty excited about this Titan one, um, just because there are not that many. I think Isn't there only the one PvP map on Titan? I think, think it?
1: there's two. Two? Yeah, there's the um, Wormhaven. I believe it's called, and then the oh, other, right. one, other one was called uh, Pacifica.
0: I yeah, I, I I was thinking of Pacifica. I always forget that Wormhaven is even on Titan because it's underground by... Uh, right, yeah. ...in Softvision Song,
1: right? Yeah, that that comes up a lot in competitive play, that map, yeah. so that's how I know that
0: one. <laughs> yeah, I I'm definitely it's... excited for new maps.
2: I think I it's know. really cool that we're getting some new maps with Gambit because uh, it's... Much needed. I am pretty surprised that we didn't get any type of announcement about Crucible maps because we haven't had any since the launch of Forsaken. Uh, so hopefully they talk a little bit more about that, or we do get some kind of a plan for Crucible maps with this season. But it may not be the case.
1: It seems yeah. like some of these developers, like Lars Bakken, who you know clearly was in the you know Crucible sandbox and things like that he was one of the crucible leads he's more he's more of a design lead now that's basically his title and he's shifted more over to gambit so i don't know i'm not completely sure how that you know is going to spell out for crucible and things like that so
0: I, i feel like we haven't heard a ton from the pvp the crucible team um we've heard a lot from like the sandbox team but that kind of affects you know everything and isn't specific to just pvp and I'm interested to see how much focus it's going to be on that in the future because Destiny, while it can be pretty competitive, is not, like, eSports level of, um, like, I don't think it can be that game, that type of game, um, like Apex or, like, Counter-Strike or whatever because of all of the allowances for wild things, unexpected things to happen given, you know, space, space magic. Yeah. Uh, and the game would feel very different if it was balanced to be competitive and I think actually PvP at the beginning of Destiny 2 was balanced in that way in where you could viably do anything with any weapon or like you know be effective with any weapon but that in fact made it more of a boring mode because there was nothing you know it just led to a lot of like team shotting and samey yeah. strategies for everything. And that's not very fun in Destiny, uh, whereas it might be in a, in a different game that has like a different goal, uh, design goal. And so I feel like um, both Gambit Prime and Reckoning are this PVE/VP, almost competitive, more serious version of Gambit, and that's pretty much what they say in the Vidoc. Um, and I'm interested to see if they keep going in that direction and trying to make it competitive in that way. And I feel like them involving the 9 and I don't know what the invitations of the 9 is but it like you can see their symbols and stuff like that something you would see in trials and I'm interested to see is if this is their answer to trials being missing for as long as it's been and I feel like trials was at a time their their you know pr- prime competitive mode their exciting tournament like mini tournament thing and I feel like They may have tried to kind of reinvent or reinvigorate it over the past three or four months and maybe found that at some point they couldn't figure out a way to make that exciting and new because at the time it was a new and exciting thing, but now that Battle Royales are a thing, they may have to go in a different direction, and I'm thinking Gambit Prime Reckoning may be that direction. So I'm interested to see how much actual time they spend improving just PvP in the future.
2: That's an interesting point. I think that in terms of the Crucible, I I don't think they're going to completely abandon Crucible and I don't think that they're going to move away from even the competitive Crucible landscape. I just don't think they're ready to reintroduce anything and I think it's going to take longer longer period of time for them to really develop something that they're proud of. I I don't honestly see them giving us anything with major crucible updates probably until the fall if you look at this current roadmap that we got between season of the drifter and the upcoming um season of opulence that was uh, revealed it doesn't look like there's anything major as far as crucible but they did also make sure to ...give us an update last week that, hey, you know, nothing is really happening with Trials. We're not really making any changes right now, but we are working on something for the future. So that would lead me to believe that they're buying time with Gambit Prime. I think that the the Nine are going to have a larger storyline with this uh, upcoming season of The Drifter... But the activity itself looks like it's more of a horde-based PVE activity that almost tells the story behind the nine and sets for a future, you know, return of a crucible mode with maybe the nine being part of that story.
0: I'm curious if there's going to be competitive aspect to the reckoning, given that it is a timed activity, in like trying to speedrun it, get through it as fast as possible. Yeah. and if there will be like a leaderboard of times or something like that. That'd be cool.
2: It's it's interesting you mentioned leaderboards because I think leaderboards is something that Destiny has needed for a really long time. I think it would be such an awesome addition to the game for them to introduce leaderboards to not only things like um, the Reckoning, but even Gambit, Gambit. or Nightfalls right. or even the raids that exist within the game right now by having leaderboard i think it would incentivize players to keep playing it and try to you know get that top score
0: yeah they had the the more up front strike scoring at one point uh during year one and then they ended up getting rid of it again and I, i don't know exactly why
2: i think part of it had to do with people essentially exploiting the game and cheesing it in order to get the maximum score so mm. when they actually published the top scores each week you would really be talking about players who would figure out the best way to cheese it rather than legitimately beat the activity and get the, the score
0: that makes sense
1: I'm interested to see what the revelry is going to be Yeah, like. it says it's a free
0: seasonal update
1: but it's going to go on for a month I wonder exactly what that is yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder. I wonder yeah. if it's
0: going to be similar to Solstice of Heroes in some way.
1: Yeah. That's I another mean, month-long you, activity. Right. Because that's also coming. Like that's coming in season of Opulence. Is so, similar, right. so That's returning. I wonder if the revelry is going to be a bunch of things that we've possibly done before. Maybe Sparrow Racing League, possibly SRL.
0: <laughs> I want that to be true because i feel a little bit cheated that i haven't gotten to uh really try it
1: yeah it was really cool uh corn agrees with me uh he would like to see that back don't you corn oh absolutely
2: that would be (laughs) really really awesome if they did bring it back
1: yeah so i mean it's like three weeks actually i said a month but it looks like it's three weeks from april 16th to may 6th so that's free to all players
0: and we don't, we don't really know what Invitations of the Nine is yet, and we don't know what Arc week is.
2: Yeah. The, the, that is very true. The only thing that they did mention about the invitation of the Nine is that it was a replacement for Zur bounties. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah. I would imagine that it has to do with the way that we acquire exotics in the game. I'm almost wondering if they're like quests that are specifically offered by the Nine, but with a twist.
1: Yeah, it's going to flesh out the things with the Nine, basically. Right.
0: Maybe yes. yeah, that's how you get their lore. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes, and if it's like uh, this is how you could get exotics from uh, the past season, or something like that. Or two yeah. seasons behind, or something. I don't know, some sort of rolling... Uh, calendar like that so that you can get things that maybe you missed the first time around it
1: looks like they're packed
0: this season this
1: season looks packed yeah yeah tons of things to do like and it, that's it, really cool
2: Yeah, it feels a lot
0: more active than season of the forge absolutely
2: it seems like there's a lot more for you to do a lot more variety of activities for you to play through this time around than what we had last season but also at the same time you have to remember that we did get a complete raid last time around and now we're not getting a raid so with the team having more time to spend on other things other modes i'm really excited to see what they do with with the story and i'm hoping that within the entire experience and the entire new season we get a little bit more story than what we got with uh, the last season, and not in terms of what's hidden behind lore, but maybe getting a couple more cutscenes, something a little bit more visual that really tells you the story about the Drifter, and flushes that out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah. we saw that interaction basically in that trailer with the Drifter and um, uh, somebody the the Nine and uh, one of the emissaries of the Nine.
0: And yeah, and also so. some an, another guardian, seemingly. Either a guardian or uh, a dredgen or some sort of uh, representative, like the darkness or something, Um, shadow maybe. Because I don't know if you saw, they had posted a like narrative preview. I did see that as well. Yeah. And there's a character called like Joxer or something. J o x e r. I don't know if that's supposed to be said Joker. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But. I'm guessing that's who uh, the Drifter was playing cards with at that table in the Vidoc. Because uh, you see a couple snippets, one where Drifter's talking to the emissary, and one where he's talking to this stranger or mystery person. And yeah, I'm interested to see if there's going to be like multiple small cutscenes, like low-key cutscenes like that where you just kind of get a little bit of a story push um, or if that's all part of one sequence. Um, because you got a little bit at the end of Season of the Forge with Ada when you completed uh, the kind of puzzle in Niobe Labs and stuff like that and got the uh, sniper rifle, that the name I cannot remember. Nagi's Burden? Yeah, Nagi's Burden. Um, once you get that, there's kind of a, a little conversation at the end with Ada where you get a little bit more bored and she goes Super Saiyan. That was pretty cool, yeah. but it's interesting to see that maybe we'll get a little bit more traditional cutscene storytelling in this.
2: I think we will now that they have more time to spend on other things besides having to build a raid because I can only imagine that it takes a lot of effort to put together a raid, especially like Scourge of the Past. For sure. It was a really, really great, great raid, in my opinion. And it's going to be really cool for them to flush out the storyline more. And at the end of the ViDoc, Luke Smith, the director of Destiny he went on to say that we're starting to figure out what the roadmap for a Bungie-controlled Destiny looks like. I
0: believe, yeah, and there was one person, I don't remember their name, one developer who mentioned, like, and what we're doing next, and then, like, another person was like, no, no, shh, shh." like, uh, we're not supposed to, you know, talk about that yet, so... Because I think in the community, there's been the question of, like, well, is this annual pass the end of content until Destiny 3? Are we going to get another annual pass? Are we going to get another forsaken size release in the fall or not? And so, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens there.
2: I think a few weeks ago, Luke Smith, right after the Activision and Bungie split up, he went out and he addressed the community and he went on to say that they are working on new content beyond the uh, annual pass. So Mm -hmm. it looks like we're going to get something, what I would hope, this fall would, would yeah. align with their schedule. And he, he even hinted at going back to the Vault of Glass because he did mention that not everything was lost in the darkness of time or something along those lines. The dark corners of time. Uh, the dark corners yeah. of time, yep. And that actually is directly from the Vault of Glass raid, which is the very first raid from Destiny 1. So it would be interesting if we actually got a chance to go back to the Vault of Glass in D2 because to this day... Vault of Glass is my favorite raid. Same. I mean, they've
0: kind of alluded to it already with the Whisper mission. Um, when you go in to get the catalysts and stuff like that, there's that portal uh, where you can kind of see the reflection of inside the vault. Yeah, we're going to
1: shoot the oracles. You shoot the oracles, shoot the oracles yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I'm guessing we're going to do something along those lines. Yeah, they could it's interesting
1: to see where they could take this now. This like it's wide open basically like at this point. With, uh, I don't know if you saw the cutscene with uh, pulled pork, and, yeah, uh, Aldrin and everything.
0: Yeah, like... at some point he's got to come back, and I imagine he's going to be the hunter vanguard. Um, yeah, because it's the vanguard there. He's right.
1: Gotta,
0: yeah. That'll be really fun. I, some people were mad that uh, it was brought back to life, but it's essentially a new character because given that when you're revived like that, you often, unless like Anna Bray, who had like a name tag on and stuff. Like that, you don't know anything about your past life.
1: And kept a journal. You lose your right. Like that. Yeah.
0: So it'll be interesting to see how both the other Vanguard members react, um, and then, like, how the player gets to choose to kind of deal with that, given that you helped kill him.
1: Very interesting uh, interaction that will take place in the tower when he, if he ever does go there right. with Ikora. <laughs> I imagine
0: <laughs> there will be, like, a fist fight with Ikora or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I can picture the scorn coming to him and being like hello father you've come back and he's like what who are you right it's I'm excited for all that story. do you guys think that's going to happen probably in the fall would that make yeah. sense
1: yeah I think so I mean or some sort of uh, through, you know some side story possibly or you know because it's like you know they hinted at the vault of glass are we doing that in the fall or are we fleshing out you know, the, the
0: interaction with
1: with while Aldrin coming back. And
0: everything. Right. So. I imagine I an imagine opulence will go back to the Leviathan and do something for Callus slash Benedict, and then mm-hmm. if it's a big update in the fall, we'll probably go to the Dreadnought, I imagine, mm-hmm. and deal with, like, South Thune, Um unless they're towing that line even further to Destiny 3 since it's such a big thing. So I don't know. It, that there's, like, a lot of
1: there's so many possibilities.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, I'm excited is, about all excited. of it, though. So,
1: yeah, like the way the game is opening up, and just so many of these stories that are just uh, taking place, and you know, it's it's really exciting. Absolutely.
2: There's a lot of open loops that are starting to kind of come together in the most interesting way because now we have the whole. Story behind Ultron and when he's going to come back and what capacity he will be back in. Mara Saab just left, so we're all speculating: where did she go? What's going to happen with her storyline? What's happening with the Dreaming City? And is she that quoted
1: what... the Exo Stranger? So she quoted the Exo yeah. Stranger.
2: Yeah, and and then also we have the whole storyline behind the Vault of Glass and how that's gonna all a greater storyline of destiny i think that
1: might have to do with some of the exo strangers because uh she told us to eliminate the vex she told us to eliminate the heart of the heart of the black garden and everything so back in d1
2: do you guys think that we're going to go back and face atheon who was the, the atheon, boss? Prime. <laughs> atheon
0: prime mm. i think we'll end up burning in Korea somehow
1: there you go. Yes, Quarry. There you go. Yeah, we just talked about that last week.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I think it, that would be really interesting. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Well,
0: because there's all that stuff and then um, and all the annual pass content, and then we also have all of this uh, free content just for the season, like the Pinnacle Weapons, uh, the Eververse Refresh, uh, Ranks Reset, there's all the other stuff going on too. I was just saying I'm really excited for this scout rifle, this Oxygen SR3 Solar Scout Rifle, where uh, every precision hit you get adds up to a bigger dragonfly explosion when you kill. Sounds yeah, cool. It given, looks really cool too. Yeah, and then given that scout rifles have gotten that buff like twice recently, it could be like a formidable, formidable weapon.
2: Yeah, and this was actually included in the weekly update that came out just a little bit ago. And let's let's move on to that uh, segment of the podcast. And in the weekly update, they did talk about the new Season of Destiny 2 starting on March 5th with Season of the Drifter. Uh, They did confirm that we will be getting new quests, new Pinnacle Weapons, Triumphs, Lore, Gambit Prime, and Reckoning. Uh, We will be getting new characters the reaper invader collector and sentry Which is going to take place through new armor that we're able to acquire that will have unique perks that will benefit each of these different classes and of course we talked about the power surge bounties and then there's also a new calendar a new roadmap for the changes that will be coming to Destiny between now and August. And we talked about the colorblind optimization and, of course, the pinnacle weapons that are being added with the new season. The Oxygen SR3, which is the precision scout rifle. Then there's the the Recluse, which is a lightweight su- submachine gun.
1: Yeah.
2: And, for, well, let's go back to Oxygen SR4. The unique perk for that. Is called Meganura, and Mm -hmm. it includes um, dragonfly dealing more damage based on the number of precision hits made beforehand. That will be the Vanguard um, pinnacle weapon.
1: Sounds like that will be an ad clearing machine right there, an ad killing machine.
0: (laughs) I really enjoy any weapon they have that that um, synergizes kind of with the playstyle around that weapon that you'd want given that you know, scout rifles are all about picking off uh, enemies from afar via precision. So I thought that was pretty cool, um, and it looks cool, and I, I want to get back into using scouts because during early, early D2, they were great, um, them and assault rifles, uh, and then it kind of moved away from that meta as time went on. And it was, it was the hand
1: cannon. <laughs> right. Hand cannon pulses after that, yeah. I agree. I agree with you. I want to be able to use my scout more. And this scout looks really cool. Like I, I'm a sucker for the Vanguard weapons. Like Shadow Price, like as my name, is my favorite weapon, basically, yeah. in all of Destiny. And it's weird. It's such a simple-looking, basic weapon. But I don't know what it is with the Vanguard stuff. I just,
0: I like it. I like the Vanguard stuff. I've been playing, I've been really enjoying Loaded Question. I use it in, like, all activities, pretty much. That's cool. I, I'm still yet to get that. I do have to grind out for it hopefully i don't know a lot of people seemed underwhelmed by it when it came out but if you really take advantage of the fact that it has the auto holstering uh the auto reloading when holstered it's super powerful because that charged shot does a ton of damage and then when you kill an enemy with it it explodes and then it can chain that like arc explosion so it's great for clearing ads both in gambit and strikes and nightfalls and stuff
1: yeah Yeah, what do you guys think of this recluse, this uh, submachine gun? Looks kind of
0: cool. Yeah, I'm interested in this because it seems like it's going to be like a very powerful support weapon because the perk on it, the unique perk is Master of Arms, and it says, kills with any weapon, improve this weapon's damage for a short time. So I imagine it's it's a void, and I imagine it's secondary. Um, And so maybe you go in and you've got, like, Ace of Spades or something. Switch to it really quick and right. uh, get that, yeah. I think it's going to be, like, a clutch weapon where it's like, oh, you take out one one Guardian on the other team. And then you switch then, to this one and then yeah, you just annihilate on the rest.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's so that sounds cool. really cool. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. What, if, do, you, what do you think, Corn? It looks like a really interesting weapon. I normally wouldn't use a submachine gun in the Crucible, so it interesting is like a game how, changer. Oh. how it changes the meta and how it makes it a more viable option. Especially, yeah. you have to remember, for that uh, secondary uh, weapon slot, shotguns will no longer be the meta like they were in the Crucible before. So I think this is part of Bungie changing things up and making weapons that we normally would not use as a viable option. And I, I I'm all for it. It's going to be really difficult to take my Lunas Howl off my character in, in competitive
0: <laughs> yeah. or in yeah, uh,
2: Crucible, but I'm pretty excited to get this weapon and to try it out. I always like testing out new weapons because it just makes the game more interesting when you're not using the same exact weapons each and every time that you play.
0: Having ad- Having to adapt to a new playstyle is always a lot of the fun of the game, and It'll be interesting to see people who've gotten Mountaintop stack this with that. Because that Mountaintop can get those one-hit kills if you are precise with it and close enough. And so getting that and then switching to Recluse and then taking out any, like, stragglers would be really Very cool. Very interesting. Because wow. they're both legendaries, so you'll be able to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't thought about that. That's awesome. I, I know... Anytime there's a new crucible pinnacle weapon, I have a friend who I'm like, oh, yes, they're going to get that as soon as possible. And they, they should that. help you
1: get that. Hopefully they do. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. We uh, I helped them do their um, Luna chase, and they got that. And I'm getting close. I just need the ranks now. Uh, I've gotten everything else. And then so next, well, this coming season here, they're going to go for Not Forgotten, and I'm going to go for my Luna. Um should be fun
2: very cool good luck with that it's it's yes, good it's so worth it once you get it such a good weapon imagine the trust hand cannon but just better more hard hitting
1: and better stability just and, the thing doesn't move it's like a
0: yeah. laser <laughs> it sounds great to me and i know like anytime i've seen anybody use it it's been killer and uh mm-hmm. i'm a little more confident in my ability to grind that out on PS4 than I would be on PC.
2: <laughs> now, I do want to mention one thing about the recluse. I think that it's gonna be a very deadly weapon when you combine it with the Thorn.
0: Ooh.
2: Oh, I think yeah. it's gonna be so Oh deadly. yeah. Ooh. I'm
0: interested to see how they speaking of Thorn, how they balance that, like because I know in Destiny One I'm it so was excited to use Thorn again. Like it was something it was a gun that people loved but also a gun that other people hated hated <laughs> yeah there's like oh they're all using thorn This sucks like that sort of thing um
1: it was that damage over time that right.
0: everybody just like
1: because if you got hit with that thing twice you you're literally done. you're done yeah you're, you're gonna dot you're gonna poison out and the person's like on to the next killer already. already
0: there they already know hit twice boom boom that person's dead now i'm on to the next guardian yeah, I'm interested to see how they're gonna balance that, but then like keep the feel of it because like a lot of the times with bringing something back, whether it be like a remaster of a game or a weapon in Destiny, it's about like making people feel like they felt when they used it, not necessarily doing the exact same thing.
2: Yeah. Right. I'll be interested well, in trying it. To... If if you look at Thunderlord and weapons like the Last Word, weapons they brought back from D1, I think that Bungie was pretty good. In in staying consistent with keeping the gun the way that it was years ago, so yeah. I, I think Thorn is going to be a weapon that is very deadly. I think that the gripes that we had with Thorn in D one, they are going to be the same gripes in D two. Yeah, I don't think that's going to change. And honestly, did you yeah, hear
1: them in the trailer? They're like, I can't wait for people. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and man. they they even mentioned that in in the trailer where. They're, that's they what said, I just said yeah you know, there's yeah. going
1: to be salty people there's yeah. definitely going to be salty people so yeah. sure.
2: I don't <laughs> for think sure. that aspect is going to change I think that the way that we acquire it is still going to be grindy probably as grindy as it was in D1 you're going to have to play a lot of Crucible in order to get it
0: I really hope that they have a similar like thematic end to the quest in the way that they did for Last Word because I really liked that even though it was like short and sweet it was still like very appropriate I think they, I I
2: loved, they'll find I agree. it I agree and absolutely yeah. I agree hundred percent the way that we got the last word was just so on point and awesome
0: I love and that kind of like thing. out of left field in a way like I don't know it just didn't feel like anything else in the game which I really liked it was a nice surprise you know everybody yeah counter
1: you guys want to talk about this machine gun yeah delirium 21
2: yeah.
0: percent delirium
2: it's called and that... it's going to have a unique perk called killing tally where kills increase this weapon's damage until it is stowed or reloaded.
0: I mean, and... this definitely this definitely seems like a Gambit workhorse given, I mean, obviously since it's like the Gambit pinnacle weapon, but uh, this seems like it could be really fun, and it's also the first rapid-fire machine gun in D2.
1: Oh, as far as it, I know. it yeah, is. The, you're the right. First
0: you... one. Yep.
1: Yeah, they said with the reintroduction of bullet-hole style machine guns, so yeah, it's nice to get that uh, that, uh, other archetype you know finally yeah. back
2: and it's also going to have the overflow perk included as well which is pretty cool
0: oh yeah that'll be good I have that on one of my hammerheads yeah it, the weapon looks cool too like it, it really does it has oh, no, overflow is new I, what am I thinking of feeding no not feeding frenzy it says here to kick the
1: magazine size out even further for true yeah. spring action
0: <laughs> yeah
1: Deej would love that weapon because he's a spray-and-prayer. <laughs> Shout-out to <Sidditch>. Deej. Oh,
0: he's <laughs> Warlock, so... <laughs> yeah. You
2: know, Bungie did also mention in the weekly update that there will be some weapon balancing that will take place, and the goal that the developers have in mind is to create a more options for players where well-rolled legendary power weapons should be able to compete and raw damage power to exotic power weapons in certain situations and with certain, you know, conditions met. And in order to accomplish that, grenade launchers will get a 25% increase in damage in PvE, and the reserve ammo will also be increased. And magazine perks will no longer be affected by your mods and uh, the perks that you have so you will have uh, better ammo reserves and then also with rocket launchers pve damage is being increased by 60 to 65 percent and cluster bomb damage is being reduced by 80 percent to compensate for that change
0: ouch that is a big nerf to cluster bombs (laughs) Yeah, Ooh. I don't know if you're going to be able to cheese ribbon as easily anymore, but it does seem like it, they say that the lost damage from the cluster part is going to actually be part of the main projectile now.
1: The blast radius. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll so do still more
2: direct to damage. Yeah. Which yeah. I think all it's going to do is it's going to make other rocket launchers be able tracking, to cheese ribbon. Rock,
1: you're going to see tracking rocket launchers all over the place now. Yeah. Yeah. 'Cause now now that, that you won't get that extra damage from the cluster bombs as much, but now you'll get for that impact.
0: So if you like you're gonna be rewarded for your your accuracy. I'm excited to use my curated bad omens more. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Same. Didn't think, I think about
0: that. It'll be nice because then you have more reason to use different rocket launchers um than just the cluster bomb ones. And I think these changes are interesting because it's kinda like we've talked about before this there's this balance between um, making some things feel special, but also not feel like the only option. Yeah. And it's always nice to have, have options of things to use and try and play with, because, um, you know, otherwise that's how things get
2: stale. Very true. And uh, Eververse changes are coming as well. Prismatic Matrix is being retired, and your Prismatic Facets will be going away as of March 5th, if you still have them on your character after that date, they will be uh, turned into 150 Bright Dust. And in addition to that, in this weekly update, Bungie did reveal that they are pretty much trying something new with the Eververse uh, microtransactions, where now you will be able to directly purchase bundles and different bundles each week and they will offer unique, exclusive vanity items that are only available for that week.
1: This is their monetization structure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: know how I feel about this because I actually really liked the Prismatic Matrix.
2: Same. Me too. It It almost feels like they're taking the vanity items now and it's going to be more so locked behind a paywall rather than being able to acquire it by playing the game or paying for it if you want to do it that way
0: I was just going to say it seems like some of them will be exclusive each week mm-hmm. to to those paved, like silver locked um, packages and then other ones will end up being you could still use um, bright dust on uh, week to week and I can't tell if that means that those ones are always behind silver or if it is just a week to week change of like well, I really want this thing, but it's Pine Silver this week, and I don't know if it's going to come back and be part of the normal Bright Dust offerings or not, and so I'm going to buy it now. The thing about Eververse in general is now that in theory all of that money is only going to Bungie, I don't know what their deal was with Activision in terms of those purchases before Eververse, but I'm much more inclined to give that money <laughs> to Bungie. Um than I would be you know, directly to Activision. I, I agree with
1: that. I, I agree with that. As where I felt the same way when I first read this, like, oh, geez, now they're moving this into that reverse. But it's like, you're right. At the same time, it's like, I would be willing more to give this money to Bungie because they do have to monetize. They have to find a way to make money to produce the further content more now more than ever things like that.
2: Yeah, they have 900 employees, and they're not getting support from Activision to pay those employees, so they're going to have to make money somehow.
0: Yeah. I really like this Malfeasance ornament that they're showing.
1: Yeah, it looks... The jade
0: one.
1: Yeah, the Malfeasance ornament, and that sparrow looks really cool,
0: too. Yeah. It looks like a Curse of Osiris sparrow, almost. Yeah. Like that sort of style. I don't know if it's Yeah,
1: like the Vigilance Wing. Yeah like an ornament from vigilance wing
0: the same way that that um that bronco sparrow looks like the smg uh the text mechanical
1: huckleberry
2: yeah it looks like huckleberry oh yeah yeah
1: it's the same right. horns it's true that's yeah pretty interesting
2: and another big change that's coming with the season of the drifter is the triumph seals are going through some well welcoming changes you will have now until august 2019 to complete your seals which is a very good change because some of these seals you can't even acquire realistically because some of them are locked behind activities that haven't even taken place yet especially with lore so that's much welcoming change also they are working on a change to the drop rates of vanity items in the dreaming city and the last wish raid and also with weapons like the 1000 voices which i still do not have to this day so that would be um really cool if they oh really how many raids have you done i've only done
0: last wish maybe three times so i can't really complain Okay. Uh, in terms of 1,000 Voices. But I, we have one guy I play with who, like, every time we do a raid, he, like, shows up midway through the raid, and then, like, by the end, we're like, oh, he's totally going to get the, like, exclusive super, you know, low RNG weapon or, like, you know, crazy RNG weapon first try, you know, dropping in mid-activity. And it happens, like, without fail. He has, like, the best rng and i don't understand how he has it because Mm we we played scourge and he dropped in on the last encounter with Insurrection prime and then like just helped us kind of finish that out and then he gets anarchy first try oh my god i've I've, I've beaten it like four times and haven't gotten it which isn't that many times but still i don't know that's That's three more times than me so right
2: (laughs) yeah i've ran the last wish raid over 30 times now I still oh, don't wow. have 1000 voices and I've I know of people who have done it 50 to 60 times still do not have it so that's rough yeah it, it can be rough but we will keep going and we will we'll I'll get it I know I'm going to get it
0: I'm I'm excited about this the change in the drop uh probabilities for Dreaming City in the raid because I'm really close to curse breaker too think all i need is to collect six more six more ahamkara bones and then like a few more like the, the ghost in the ship oh wow. that's it i want my three seal pins <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah they also have that last word um i think uh thing out there with the uh what is it the replica
0: last oh, yeah. word
1: thing and the shirt do you any of you guys plan on getting that at all
0: um, I don't think so. I, I want I, to. I have a friend who bought the Luna one, and uh, I guess they had he hasn't gotten it yet because they like got their first run of them and then didn't like the quality, so they sent it back to try and get a, a higher quality build of it.
2: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Cool. They would do that.
0: Yeah. They like everything I've ever bought from the Bungie store has been like
2: great great quality yeah I've made quite a few purchases from the bungee store I think I have enough shirts to have a new destiny shirt for every day of the week for two <laughs> weeks so yeah. uh, I went a little crazy with with my shirts I think I have at least a couple dozen shirts by by now and yeah, they, they release great products. I wish their shipping rates were a little bit lower. Like I one time I wanted to buy this bungee mug and it was like a fifteen dollar mug, but they wanted to charge fifteen dollars for shipping and I just couldn't bring myself to pay <laughs> fifteen dollars for an item and then another fifteen to ship it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was eighteen for the pin and then it was like ten dollar shipping on top of that.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I did it. I did it because I'm like, I earned this thing. I did all this work to get it. I'm definitely buying it. You know, it's interesting that amount of like uh, investment that it like um, motivates you to, to buy. Um, it's an interesting system because like if you explain it to someone who's not playing Destiny, that seems like absurd that you would like only be able to buy these things. That they give you the ability to give them money. <laughs> because you played their game a lot already by giving them money to buy the game. It's interesting. Um, but it always it feels like an accomplishment. Like, I don't feel bad about it, and I'm excited to get the thing. So.
2: Yeah, and you spend so much time playing the game. You invest so much of your efforts into what you're doing in Destiny that you're invested so you want to reward yourself with something to commemorate everything you've done in the game but also to support the developers because they've done a great job with the game and if you've played the game for 800 hours you know another 100 bucks is not that much to support them and also to get something really cool in return
0: and I think part of the Bungie store purchases go to the Bungie Foundation too
2: which is cool. cool
1: Yes, it does. That yeah. Raid one is really cool. Oh, man. I can't. Oh, the
0: jacket? Yeah.
1: Like, well, not only the jacket, but that Raid pin that
0: oh, they show yeah.
1: on there. That looks, oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> do I want to go We'll, we'll
2: have to do that Petrus run. Oh, oh gosh.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully they'll have
0: those guitar errors figured out in. Yeah, I think this next update, I believe.
2: Is that... the next one
0: or is the one? A... I Where's thought it was, like, late, late March. Oh, wait. I, I could be wrong.
1: Elevated Guitars. Players are experiencing above-average guitar errors in the final encounters of the last Switch Raid. And they said that they're resolving issues part three with Destiny 2 update 2.20 closing in. Here's the third and final preview of player impacting issues that we expect to be resolved oh. with the update 2.2.0 on March 5th. That's
0: cool. That is so happening. Yeah, it looks like they're finally getting that bug taken care of. I wonder if elevated means it could still happen, just not as often. Mm, it's possible or, or if guitar had always been you know a possibility but just didn't really ever happen except for in Last Wish at the end and then you know they're fixing that specifically
1: yeah, yeah and it's about time
0: so yeah yeah <laughs> I've, I've heard of it ruining a lot of people's Petrus runs and that it's rough yeah it doesn't feel good <laughs> well it's a huge time investment to to get there and then to have it go wrong you know not in any reason. way, yeah, not it's in any way due to your own like uh, performance, yeah. But it's good that they're finally fixing that. And then, and I think, is this the update that they're fixing Titan Skating on PC too? I believe so. Yes, they're fixing Titan
1: Skating, they're um, nerfing the one eyed mask, uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> that is all in this. All oh, in they're this fixing support. the Izanagi's burden scope too, that's nice. Because when you yep. invade your Worm Well of Radiance, the the redness from you glowing as an invader or the Well of Radiance glow like completely obfuscate your your scope on Izanagi right now. So that'll yep. be nice.
1: I've had that happen to me. They're fixing the monarch, um poison damage,
0: applying inconsistently when fired over long distances too. Oh yeah, um, I noticed that too. That'll be nice. Mm-hmm. I really like that thing. I, I love... I don't. Know, everybody complained that when they changed the description for Oath Keepers um, to take away the draw time improvement, uh, that it's like, oh, well, why even use them? But I use them a lot, honestly, with Lay Monarch, and then I used them a lot in Crimson Days with the Vow, um, just because two on two with bows is a lot of fun, and being able to hold that bowstring back for a long time is like invaluable. <laughs>
1: It's an interesting playstyle. You you have to be more um, you have to strategic.
0: Your, yeah, and you have to tune your whole build around
1: it. But uh, yeah, they're fixing that. They're fixing mountaintop. The mountaintop could not use the quick access sling mod. They're fixing star map shell detection, where it didn't uh, detect chests in the dreamin city. So this is the this is the update that fixed all those uh, pesky bugs that they were encountering for such a long time
2: yeah and they did also include a a calendar for a roadmap for everything that will be coming to destiny in the coming months it's really interesting that uh, they also mention an arc week
0: yeah i don't know what that's That's gonna be i'm interested to see what that is
1: was that possibly arms week that was data mined and then turned into arc week it's very possible it's i'm thinking that's possibly what it could be where they're going to have these different sets of activities all throughout the Destiny universe, and you're going to be able to do them and have these different awards maybe associated with them and bounties and maybe things of that nature, possibly.
2: Yeah, they're going to have some really interesting things with this this update Uh, for this season. I'm curious to see what is actually going to take place with the Allegiance quest, and we did talk about that earlier in the show. Um, that's going to be really interesting. Also, the new exotic quest that we're getting later in the season. We're getting Invitation of the Nine, new Triumphs and Lore books, Gambit Prime.
1: We found out Season 7 is called Seasons of the Opulence, and so
0: that's cool too.
2: What could Season of the Opulence mean, and what could it hint at?
0: I think it is definitely about Callus. given that Kallus is quite opulent. Uh, And given that, you know, everything in the Leviathan kind of set you up to be his uh, charge in some ways, like his mercenary, because that whole uh, raid was training and like testing you to see if you were like worthy of serving under him.
1: Yeah. And it's basically a revenge tale for him to get back at a lot of the generals that, you know basically went against him or something right so we're basically a wacky we're, we're, we're like his
0: we're going out there doing the things that he can't do well and then previously it like the the code name for it was Penumbra and when they initially talked about the annual pass they talked about it being the season of like secrets because everyone kind of mentioned that they really loved the whisper quest and how it was a hidden thing that just kind of popped into the game one day Um. And would love to see more of that. And then they mentioned in that annual past wideoc that penumbra, uh, or now known as season of opulence, was going to be the time for pretty much nothing but that stuff. So that think be that interesting?
1: Also, might have to do with the new six-player matchmaking activity that's going to be coming during that.
0: Yeah, and I don't. Trip? I don't know what that'll. I can't. I don't know if because like the rumor, or at least what I had thought at one point was that they were going to turn Leviathan into a. Patrol zone. of That's what kind. I keep hearing too. Yeah. And if they did a six-person activity, maybe it would it would be on the Leviathan, um, but I don't know what it would be. Yeah, I don't imagine it would be something um, of the level of like Gambit in terms of size and scope, but I could see it being something escalation protocol sized, uh, maybe a true horde mode or something.
1: That would be cool. Interesting.
0: A true horde mode. Yeah, one know? that's... Yeah, I want one that's infinite that you can say, like, oh, we got to this level. Or like Firefight. Like, yeah, exactly.
2: That would be really cool. So so you guys think that it, it will be a PvE activity with the new six-player match made activity coming with Season of the Opulence?
0: I think so. I think if it was a PvP activity... They would have said so. They would have telegraphed that in some way, given ever like uh, the PvP community's, like, thirst for pvp news or anything talking about pvp yeah but maybe i'm wrong maybe they're just you know keeping it close to their chest
2: yeah and it also looks like solstice of heroes will be coming back this year as well
1: yep your favorite activity corn
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, it was I'm, grindy it was i'm good. actually excited
0: about that like i really enjoyed solstice of heroes uh last year the shirt's um, nice i
1: get i got the. you guys got the shirt
0: Yeah, I liked the armor. I liked the clothes. I uh, enjoyed being able to get armor up to 400 before Forsaken. Um, Mm -hmm. And and same thing with the weapons. If you did the prestige um, versions of the raids uh, with the modifiers and stuff, I thought that was cool.
2: See, I really liked last year's Solstice of Heroes. The only criticism that I have is that... The armor that you got doesn't really carry over to what we're doing now. Like, That's true. the armor you're getting now has more perks to them. So, in most cases, this new armor will be your go to over that trophy armor. And especially with the limited vault space that we have, I think that I wish it was more of a viable option with the activities that we are playing. Maybe. I think they're going to bump us up to 750 maybe for our vault uh, size <laughs> I think
0: they're a little higher maybe I don't know I feel like the vault has become less important given collections existing but it's possible I, mine is only half full because I have like purged it a couple times of stuff like that I'm just holding on to but never used the only I have some stuff still that I've kept around is like, like you kind of said just like trophies um, but tried to clean it out pretty well.
2: I think that collections definitely made things easier with vault space, but I do think random rolls kind of took us back to where it's starting to fill up quite a bit because you yeah. have so many different varieties of the weapons that we have in the game that it becomes it becomes almost a chore to have to constantly manage your vault space. For me, I run out constantly like every month i run out of space
0: yeah personally i usually end up only keeping one version of a weapon like eventually like maybe i'll keep two around but eventually i decide that like oh i actually only use this one and so i'm going to get rid of this other one um but i can definitely i know a lot of other people (laughs) have maxed their vaults and it's like a constant um management
2: oh yeah i'm definitely one of those people for sure Um, So now we have a tradition on the podcast where we rate the weekly update in the form of spicy tuna rolls one to five. And how would you guys rate this week's update from one to five?
1: This is a five. That Vidoc was awesome. Like the Vidoc was awesome. All the information was awesome.
0: This, this is a five all the way for me. I think it's hard to say like, I want to say 5, but I wonder maybe 4, given that the Vidoc was released before the TWAB. So is it really part of the TWAB, like, officially? Like, is, it, is the TWAB owned the Oh, Vidark? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you want to, like, get technical about it. I, I guess, guess so, yeah. I think um, that. <laughs> but no, it, like, it's a it's a beefy TWAB for sure.
1: Yeah, if you throw the Vidocq in, it's a 5. If, if without it, like, 4.5. It was yeah. really good.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I would give it a five because I think they did an incredible job in communicating what is not only coming with Season of the Drifter but also Season of the Opulence. We got a very clear roadmap for where the game is going. And with this update, I think they addressed a lot of different things from weapon balancing to the, the Triumphs and the Seals. I think that was a really, really great update also they did announce that we're getting pinnacle weapons so i think that was a really great addition to the update and overall they were really clear about what is coming with the next season and all of the things that are being that that was shown off to us was really really great in my opinion so i would give it a five out of five
1: basically information overload in a way so much stuff dropped today i mean and now this season it's not called joker's wild anymore like They completely like mixed that name. It's just Season of the Drifter.
2: <laughs> what do you guys think of this new roadmap? Um, I
1: like it. I like what they, what they brought to the table today. I like what they showed us.
0: I'm pretty happy with it. I don't really have a lot of questions um, in terms of things we don't at least know a little bit about uh, other than PvP, I guess. But I'm, I'm happy with it, and I'm happy with where the game is at and going.
2: Is there anything that you guys are most excited about with uh, the new season that's coming March fifth?
1: I think that um, the reckoning and probably just what all we're doing with that. Just uh, I think just a, everything like rolled together like the package that Bungie's bringing together for this. You know the the reckoning, Gambit Prime, the Allegiance quests, the Thorn quests, the I know I'm forgetting some things. The other Exotic Quests. I'm interested in all this. You know, in the lore, and the story, and
0: everything, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it all feels very cohesive, and I'm excited that it seems like Gambit Prime feeds into The Reckoning, which feeds back into Gambit Prime.
2: And are there any weapons that you guys want to see with the new season that we haven't already had announced?
1: What What weapon hasn't been given lots of love?
2: Um, I feel
1: like
0: swords are still... Yeah, rough. swords. Yeah, just they don't have enough ammo uh, for how much risk you're taking in being up, as up close as you are. Um, they don't have the range of like a shotgun, so I feel like they could use some some work. And I don't know how they would go about doing that, uh, but I feel like they could be more in tune with how like a melee weapon feels in something like Monster Hunter, where it kind of takes a little bit more. It, and this might be like entirely off in terms of just like what kind of game destiny is, but I feel like there could always be more skill involved in sword use, or like ways in which you can be like kind of crafty with it and like dodge and stuff. But
1: what uh, what about more we- melee weapons in general? Like maybe an axe, or or like a hammer, hammer. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think that's hard because I don't know if it gets into like a lot of the supers, or at least Titan supers with hammers and stuff. I don't know if that that crossover is good or bad uh, in terms of, like, uniqueness of an ability. But more more melee stuff would be pretty cool. Yeah. And then they could turn a game mode into it, like
2: the melee combat or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I miss swords like the Dark Drinker. Raised lighter, The, the raise lighter. Those were really fun to use. So I'd love to see some more exotic swords come to the game that are really, really good. Not even necessarily exotic. Even if they're legendary, that would be fine too. But we've had a lot of fun with swords. And yeah. they have been underrepresented in this game, in my opinion. So definitely. I'd love,
0: I'd love some... Um, it's not a weapon, but I'd love some like, class uh, exotics. Like exotic uh, cloak, or uh, oh, yeah,
1: we had that in D1. Yeah,
2: yeah, it'd be nice to have that back, too. Yeah, I also find it very interesting that they didn't really put any focus on exotic armor or really at all. I don't think there's gonna be,
1: yeah, I think they're again, this is the whole thing with split from Activision. They wanted to give us an idea of all these activities and things like that. They want us to discover, I think, these exotics in game, and everything like yeah. going going forward. Because I think they just showed way too much for you know when Black Armory came out and everything. They showed you all the exotics basically, like right, right off the bat, you know. And it's just it's more fun to discover that in game, to find that, to get those like through game
2: play. Definitely. And I I definitely think that, you know, there should be some level of mystery behind the things that we acquire in-game. It shouldn't all be given to us in a video, and then we kind of pick and choose what we want. So I I do agree with that. And we're also not getting a raid this time around. Are you guys okay with that?
0: Yeah, because we're getting all this other stuff. Yeah, there's so many other activities, and plus, I still have to go back and do... Last Wish and Scourge more to get all that stuff I haven't gotten yet. I'm yeah, cool same. with it. I've only done Scourge once. So I'm I'm guilty. I need to go back and play that raid. So somewhere. I'd also, you know, like rather have them take that break and then make the next one that much better from, you know, being able to focus on it.
2: I agree. And and looking back, I think that having a raid with every expansion, it it it's kind of overwhelming. So I think it's it's cool to not have an expansion where we have to try to grind to get to the maximum light level so that we can play the raid that week to try to get that day one completion done. It's a little hectic when that comes back, so it's nice to have an expansion that we can just kind of enjoy and not have to worry about the the grind with doing the raid day one.
1: Yeah, I think they're trying to bring people back into this game. You know, it's like they're trying to reignite the flame And everything so it's um one way to do it to give people a lot of different ways to come back and play
2: yeah and do you guys think that we're getting enough end game content to keep us engaged in playing destiny for the next two three months especially with games like apex coming out the division two anthem do you think this is enough to keep players in destiny
1: I won't. I won't know until I play it, until I'm in there and actually playing these activities. But I mean, it, it seems promising. You know, I don't. It, it's different from those games because you know those are battle royales. Like Apex is battle royale. Anthem is obviously PVE. You know, looter shooter, basically. You know, um, with no PVP or anything like that. So um, I mean, like I said, I won't know until I get in and play the activities. But it seems
0: promising. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it'll be enough for the core audience and for the people who really love Destiny for what it is. Um, but like you said, you know, we'll have to see uh, when it comes out next week. And honestly, probably won't be able to have a really um, complete idea until it's over, <laughs> mm-hmm. G- given that it's you know, it'll last a couple mo- uh, a month at least yeah, since they're rolling it out in tiers, like
1: the you know the way the the reckoning is gonna go and things like that, and how the how that storyline is gonna play out with the drifter. Definitely.
2: Yeah, I think that you know we have enough enough content to keep us happy for at least a month, month and a half. And if you really think about it, you know that's all I really expect from the game i think that as you play through the the content and you get the drops that you want you know you're gonna want to play other games and that's okay because there are so many great games out there that are deserving of our time and deserving to be played so i think that's okay well, having uh, some
0: breathing room is great i i don't want to only yeah. be playing destiny yeah. i'd love to you know be able to there's so many other great things.
2: so many great games out there yeah. absolutely Based on this roadmap and based on this update, I think that it's safe to say that we will have new things to do for the foreseeable future between Gambit Prime, between the revelry that's coming out in April, uh, Invitation of the Nine, The Reckoning. So these are all things that are going to keep us engaged in playing the game. And I'm, I'm for one excited for the future of Destiny, uh, with season of the Drifter, also with the season of the Opulence, and beyond.
1: Yeah, I think they won some people back today. I mean, you're not going to please everybody, but I saw a lot of people excited for this. You know, things to come. For sure. So. so. Yeah.
2: Definitely. So yeah, so we covered so many things today. I do want to thank P tips for being on the show today. We really appreciate having you on the show and we had a blast talking about Destiny with you today. So thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you for having me. I had a good time. Yeah, Thanks. Destiny and
2: game
1: development in general and just all your just insight and knowledge and everything, you know, it's just been incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem. Anytime. Thanks
2: and before we wrap things up for the night is there anything else that you guys want to add about the new season of the Drifter that's coming next week Mm. I think
0: I just I hope there are some surprises along the way Um, and and it's weird to ask for like more (laughs) given that like the the map they have is pretty extensive and like seems like they've done a lot of work in a very small seemingly small amount of time um, But I always like it when something happens. Uh, the most exciting parts in the community are when something happens that you didn't expect, and then you are like sitting at work and you like see something, and then you want to rush home and do it. So hopefully, there's a couple secrets along the way. Definitely.
2: Shadow yeah. Prince.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Absolutely. You know, I, they they gave us so much today. Like this this was a lot of information. This was. This is very encouraging. This is hope for the future. This is. Uh, this is what we wanted to see. You know. This is what the game we play. This is the game we spend the most time playing. You know. We have other games out there, but this is the one we choose to play the most. So, you know, it's. Um, yeah, it's very cool to see these things you know, come to fruition.
2: Definitely, and the last thing that I want to say is that today. If anything, it showed us that Bungie is indeed listening and they are taking the feedback. But not only are they collecting feedback, they are acting on what the community wants. And that is a very promising thing that we didn't see quite as much in the past, but we're starting to see that more and more. I can tell that Bungie is listening to the reaction from the last season of The Forge and we are getting new ways to level up our characters to that light level so we can play the new activities. And also the new modes that are being introduced are all very interesting to me between Gambit Prime, between the new quest lines that we're getting in the game, and the story of the Drifter overall. I'm really excited to learn more about all of it. And I cannot wait for what Bungie does with destiny being in full control of the game now and with all the new content that we are getting with this new season so I'm very excited and thank you both for being here today on the show and thank you audience for tuning in and as a reminder we'll be doing a giveaway of toe jam and earl so you can grab your copy by leaving a review for our show on your platform of choice and if you take a screenshot and tweet it to us at the destiny show with a hashtag DSP you can get a chance to win and we will be announcing the winner next week on the show on the March 7th episode and we will also be announcing the winner on Twitter so Lastly, I do want to give the audience an opportunity to learn more about you both. So uh, where can we learn more about you, P-Tibs? Uh, you
0: can follow me at p P-T-I-B-Z, on Twitter. Or you can follow uh, the, my studio, Young Horses Games, uh, at Young Horses on Twitter. And uh, pretty much everything from me or uh, my
2: work will be there. Very cool. And Shadow Price, how about yourself?
1: Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at ShadowPrice79. And when I stream, uh, I'll be streaming to uh, twitch.tv forward slash I'm ShadowPrice.
2: Very cool. And you can learn more about The Destiny Show at, at destinyshow.com. You can also find us on Twitter at The Destiny Show. And you can find me personally at OMGCornholio on Twitter. I also do have a Twitch at I am Cornholio, and I will be starting streaming pretty soon, so uh, do check that out. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Destiny Show podcast. We're really excited for the upcoming changes and upcoming season in Destiny, and we can't wait to see you again soon.
1: Yeah, excited to play the new content.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to the Destiny Show podcast, and we will see you on again next week. to a Robots Radio podcast:
1: smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.
0: Hey, I'm Tom, and I'm Stuart, and we're from the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast.
1: We talk about all things connected to D and D
0: lore, and we're on the Robots Radio Network. So if you're into Dungeons and Dragons or you're into lore, then come check us out. You can find us on any podcatcher: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play wherever you get podcasts. Roll more dice. That's the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast.